forward in this one. Josh, we are live. This is Talking During Movies. Man, I cannot thank you enough. This, my, 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 hands down, my favorite guests are comics. Oh, well, listen to you. Listen to you already. Uh, yeah, that's fantastic. I, I'm one of my favorite comics, too, so that, that we have that in common. I, I like it. I like it. Now, you're, uh, we, we were talking a little bit off mic, and, uh, you know, uh, we we're talking to Grippos, Kentucky, Moonshine. I mean, yeah. Yeah. you take Burn all it. those things, throw them to the left, driving from texas to kentucky i've done it a couple of times yeah it's gorgeous man like i take the the road less traveled because i want to see the little stores and you know see everything and you like but, the guy with, that plays the ban banjo on the porch all the time oh yeah with the little fiddle it's great but also kentucky's gorgeous man it was like i the weirdest thing i've ever done is i, I was in a mexican restaurant having a starberry daiquiri eating chicken wings waiting for FedEx to bring my lost luggage to so Corbin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> From Corbin, for, you know, it was in Lexington. They're like, we'll bring it to Corbin. That's about as far as we go. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, what if I was in Hazard County? They're like, well, you drive and pick it up then. All right, we yeah. don't fucking We're go to Hazard County. We're not doing that. No. We're not doing that. <laughs> We're not doing that. So before we go down any rabbit holes, we start the movie and get into the movie. Yeah. Social-wise, how can people find your comedy? How can they laugh their ass off? And then also follow you on your social channels and just get the other things and all that jazz. Well, uh, on Facebook, it's just Josh Sarm. You can find me there. Or it's Josh's stand-up on Facebook. Uh, on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, it's all Josh Sarm. And uh, last name spelled S-A-R-D-A-M. And I'm even on TikTok. And it's turning out to be one of my best social media outlets. I've got videos with tens of thousands of views on there it's crazy How dare you get on tiktok what <laughs> i know did they I'm check your id are they like i'm sorry sir listen <laughs> do you have potential daughters on tiktok right now how dare you no it's it's pretty it's been pretty amazing i didn't think so but a, a good buddy of mine uh dusty slay is a fantastic comedian and uh we were, we were talking on my podcast and he said uh Hey, uh, you know, I'm on TikTok. It's my best social media. I was like, Dusty, you're not a 20 year old female. What are you doing? You know, and <laughs> like, oh, try it. So I've been throwing my videos up there and it's been kicking ass. So, and I, your I, podcast, real quick, tell people about your podcast. Uh, it's called The Ego's Last Stand. Uh, it's a saying that, uh, well, it's, it's what Steve Martin referred to as stand up comedy. He said it was your ego's last stand when you're on stage. Sure. So, I be a great uh, podcast name for something where, you know, I talk to other comedians and Actually, we've branched out. We we've talked to paranormal people. We've talked to wrestlers, um, but it's it's been 
fantastic. Uh, I have a, a partner normally when we're not in quarantine, uh, Brandy Nicole. She's my partner on the podcast. And uh, first season, we had probably, I, I think we had 33 episodes per season. The second season is just ma- mainly me. It's called The Quarantine Chronicles. I've, I've interviewed a whole bunch of people uh, just from as I'm sitting here talking to them. But uh, it's been going really well. I mean, we gained uh, about 1,300 uh, subscribers the last month, which is fantastic. So nice. It's been blowing up pretty good. So uh, it, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, we can't wait for the comedy club to still come back up because we normally record on a comedy off Broadway in Lexington, which is badass. And uh, shout out to comedy off Broadway, Jordan Holly, and the rest. We love you guys. Anyway. And that's, that's my next thing. So one of the things I've been doing, we do about – Biggest day uh, the last two weeks was 697 downloads per day. We hover about 350, 400. Obviously, COVID has helped the podcasting world. And, um, but uh, one of the things, and Sam Tripoli started this, so by no means is this my creation. Then my friend Vanessa Marcel, who was the hostess in the show Vegas and actress and does something, she went on Instagram and she's like, oh, if your kid can't go through graduation, send me a picture, like just do your senior picture thing, right? Graduation style. And I'll send him a gift. Nice. And then Sam was doing his thing with tinfoil hat where he's like, if you're a local business in LA and you message me, I'm going to read two or three reads on my Patreon and then one on, uh, you know, whatever goes to iTunes, everything else. I'm going to do that. I'm going to help the business out. So not my brain, obviously, you know, taking from those, those other much smarter, more ingenuitive people. But that said, you're in Kentucky. There is great food. There's great drinks. There's, there's a great people across the board. I love Kentucky, obviously. But if you got a couple spots, uh, you know, because we do, I don't know, we probably do maybe a hundred a month in Kentucky. We're going to try to get that number up. But, yeah. you know, still, you got a couple of favorite spots you want to give some love to. The comedy place, obviously, please, because those waiters, waitresses, cooks, drink makers, everything else, please give some love to that because it is an amazing comedy club and it's um, noted we, that it is. Yeah. We actually have three here in Kentucky and I'll give love to all three of them. So Please do get it. Uh, for always my home club. So uh, obviously Jordan Holly and the rest love you guys. Uh, the company caravan, Louisville caravan in uh, Louisville. That, that's uh, Diana Comstock. Love everybody there. And then uh, we've got the laughing post in Georgetown and that's uh, Goo McIntyre and his crew. And uh, I, I love everybody that these places are amazing places for people to come out, have some laughs. They each have their own kind of thing they're doing. And, uh, you know, Comedy Off Broadway has been there for 36 years. They've had everybody from Seinfeld to, uh, you know, Carlin at the place at one point in time. I mean, it's like a historic club. Uh, it was rated top five in the nation at one point in time. And, I mean, it's just it's, it's an amazing area to be in because there's not a lot of other comedy-type places around, you know. So it's, it's really, it's really you got to go to a different state. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um... You know, I'll give, uh, so of course my, usually this is recorded in a bar uh, in downtown Austin. And we record, so we started at a place called Dirty Bills. We moved to Dive Bar. My buddy, Matt, who uh, is the GM of Dive Bar, no one knows he's the GM. They hear him in the background. They're like, oh, that's your producer. And I'm like, Matt, you got a new job. Don't worry, we're not getting paid still. It's good, just <laughs> calm down. But by the way, we all need new cocktails. And so we go in, get drinks, he's serving us. You know, people are yelling for him to, to turn the fan down the back. And it's like, it's, it's a dive bar. It's legitimately a dive bar. And they're like, I heard a door open. What's going on? I'm like, I'm recording in a fucking bar. They're getting 
orders coming in. They're trying to get ready for the alcoholics of Austin just to, to barrage them at 2 p.m. And I'm there at 11 a.m. Everyone's hungover. They're like, you know, they, they shut down the bar at 3 a.m. And they open for me any day of the week and just like record. Of course, COVID, curveball. But, uh, you know, so I always give, you know, at Dive Austin is, um, is their uh, Instagram. I love them to death. My buddy, Scott, I make fun of him because it's S-K-O-T. It's like Jeff with a G. Like, no. Yeah, but smart as fuck. So he took these um, old military uh, 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 artillery uh, canisters, those rectangle ones. Right. Sprayed a liner on the inside, drilled six holes. It's a six pack carrier. Nice. But he also does magnetic paint. So, and then there's a bottle top opener. So when you click it off, it sticks to the side and you're not littering. So you're talking about like an ammo can. An ammo can that's turned into a six pack carrier that is insulated on the inside, magnetic paint on the outside with a bottle opener. So what's his zesty? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And he's just like at colorblind.design. <laughs> he's very nice, God bless him. Right. Uh, so those, those are the two I always give love to, obviously, you know, and then I just want to pick, uh, you know, I, I, like, I like to pick a small business. Um, sometimes they'll be like, hey, um, you tagged us. We didn't do a contract. We're not paying you money. And I'm just like, oh, what? You're fine. <laughs> I don't want oh. your money. No, I want people to show up and hang out and have a good time. So for, for me, uh, the new one is, uh, is uh, this group, they're veterans. Um, started a brewery out in Dripping Springs. It's called the uh, 12 Fox. Love it. It's a hell of a good beer. Really impressed. My buddy who's a veteran, he's a filmmaker. He did the podcast. He's like, oh, you got to come out and try. I was like, I'm an aggressive beer drinker. And I get beer companies 24-7 reaching out. Hey, can you talk about our beer? We'll send you some. I get it. I'm like, hey, can I send the rest back to you? And we'll just call it even. Like, <laughs> Because I don't want to be rude. But listen, the, it's subjective. It's like food. It's subjective, right? I mean, it yeah. could be good. It could be bad. It's, it's my personal opinion. And I don't want my personal opinion, if it's negative, to impact someone in a way that's not good. So I finally got off my ass. I, went, I drove out there. Really good beer. And they don't, they're not even making the beers that I like. I was like, I don't like these. I'll try them. I was like, shit, these, I would drink a couple of these. These are good. Good job, guys. And, you know, they do stuff for veterans out there and they, they're doing stuff for the kids now, uh, graduating and trying to throw them events and raise money for them to get cool stuff. And, you know, all, all, the, all the things that arguably in any town, any community, we should, uh, we should strive to do a lot better job at. Being a veteran, I love hearing that there's someone like that out there doing that. That's awesome. I didn't know you were a veteran. I know you're a former law enforcement. You're a veteran as well. Um, Oh yeah, shit! There it yeah, is. No, you, that's is. like that's like someone. The difference between someone who has a bat is like I played a little baseball, and you're like, okay. And then because this is not video, so people cannot see the stuff that I just saw. So downplaying a little bit. Um, oh, good. We're not. Oh, I can pick my nose, then. I, I didn't know. <laughs> we'll we'll run down that rabbit hole in a minute here. But first, you pick this movie. This is one of my this Gremlins and Goonies on HBO in 1985 or 87 was just, it was on a loop. I mean, it was just like, here you go. So you picked this movie. So tell us about the movie and uh, your relationship with it real quick. 
Well, uh, I started watching this movie back in the 80s when it first came out, uh, mainly because of the fact that it was, it was uh, by an actor who uh, was just in a really funny-ass slapstick movie called Top Secret. And I had, I had never known this actor before, but he was hysterical, and I loved it. Uh, and I'm talking about Val Kilmer, obviously. And uh, Val, uh, it, he ended up in this movie called uh, Real Genius, and it's got, uh, uh, what's his name, Jared, uh, something Jared. Uh, something anyway. I messed him up. Listen, I watched Roadhouse and I called Sam Elliott, Sam Donaldson the whole time. So, well, you know, there's, there's my, my, my fans know not to trust the names that I say. <laughs> especially in the eyes. Especially in the eyes. Uh, but but uh, this, I mean, that kid's only been in one other movie and that just for trivia buffs, it's Apollo 13. Anyway, so, oh, wow. okay. uh, yeah, so Val Kimmer was in it and it's just, it's about these, uh, you know, really, really smart kids. And I was in high school, I was hanging out with kids like this. And so it really kind of struck home with me and it was just hysterically funny because I was constantly making fun of them. I wasn't one of the smart kids. I was just hanging out with them because they were nerds and I had no friends because I kept making fun of everybody. So it fell on really well and the movie laughed that hard. And it was in my house on loop constantly. I, I was a bit of a hacker when I was uh, younger. So I was on my computer and I'd have it playing in the background and it just, it was always just something that was going on. And yes, I've had a computer since I was nine and I'm 47. Nice. So you're, you're 47, so you got so you got a year on me. So we're in the, we're in this we're 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 batting in the same cage. I love it. So I'm gonna hit play on mine, uh, folks. We're I'm 10 seconds in. The horse is gonna gallop in. That turns into a a Pegasus that my daughter will say is not whatever the Pegasus unicorn thing is that she knows. Yeah, I'm like, what's five plus five? She's like, I don't know. Have you heard about this thing on My Little Ponies? And I'm like, no. I would rather you focus on five plus five. <laughs> It's, it's chaos. So how does looking forward to it? So how does a, a man who's I'm just going to say you're from Kentucky. I don't care if you say where you're not or not. Right? We're just going to go from Kentucky. Okay. A military service, uh -huh. law enforcement service, uh -huh. and now comedy. Yep. Generally speaking, if you lay it out on paper, like I tell my friend Shaw, who's a guy from India who's in his late 20s, he might be 30, rapper, right? Like blinged out in Atlanta, we're friends. And I'm like, here's a 46 year old guy from Montana who was making his own bullets at seven so he could shoot a deer so the family could eat, right? So I've got him and we've got Shaw the rapper and we've got 15 at least years of separation between us and we're friends. Yeah. That irrational concept, in my mind, runs the same to you of going, <laughs> wherever you're born, we'll keep your privacy there, military, you know, law enforcement, and God knows what you did in between if there was some private contracting in there, and now stand-up comic. Well, I mean, I, I wanted to be a stand-up comic when I was a kid. Uh, okay. I, 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 I stood up in front of my family on a family outing when I was... Uh, I was before I was even 10 years old and I recited Bill Cosby himself, the entire thing, his entire special, his entire hour and a half special. I recited it in front of my family. And, seeing and real the, quick, and real quick, to, to pause for the people that don't know. A, did, listen, we didn't know who Bill Cosby was back then. No, he was, he, he was, he was my idol though when I was a kid. I had no idea what he was doing, of course not. B, he had records and tapes oh, that fantastic. you, it was one of the few comics you could listen to with your parents. Yeah. Or vice versa, or parents could listen with their kids. And yep. those two or three tapes that came out, it's between 79 and 84, were 
murder room. They, they were. They were just hysterically funny. Just everything, everybody could relate to it. It was great. And I was hooked. Well, you know, life happens, and I found myself homeless as a, as a, a teenager, and I, I had to join the military. It was the only thing I could do to save myself. So I was in the military for a long time. I, my, um, when I got married, we, I had some. I moved to D.C. for a little while, and we ended up moving to Florida. And I couldn't find a job for a long time, and uh, you know, a civilian job. And my brother-in-law was in law enforcement. He said, "Hey, have you ever thought about doing it?" Well, military law enforcement is very close. Uh, so I figured, what the hell, I'll give it a shot. So I did that for uh, seven years. And then okay. uh, when we came back here to Kentucky, um, you know, it, it was just one of those things where I, I was out of the service, I was out of law enforcement, I didn't even vet myself. And I said, actually, it wasn't me, it was my wife. She said, you know, for my birthday this year, why don't you do stand up at an open mic at the club? No. Like, get out. She's like, look, you don't have to buy me a birthday present, you don't have to do anything like that. She said, you just do that for my birthday. That's my birthday present, you doing that. Because she knew, she knew this is something. I mean, she's, she's told me ever since she's known me, you know, that I'm funny and I, I should be doing stand-up. Um, so I did it at the club and I was hooked. And, uh, you know, so I always... Hold on, like, so that was her birth... So Yeah, for, that was her birthday present. People understanding or wanting to understand or make this a hallmark moment. Let's make it one. Let's put the card out that goes... <laughs> This is what trust and love looks like. Oh, yeah. Not, hey, could you be a postman? And on your free time, you know, if you've got it, you're not too tired, not for the kids, everything else, what's going on? If you want to make some funny, funny ha-has, that would be cute. But also remember, on Tuesdays, you make dinner, and it's a burger night. You do a really good job. So instead, it's like, hey, my birthday, I want to see you happy because... I love you so much that when you're happy, I'm happy. All right. Well, the, the love you so much part, let's not get out of control. No. <laughs> I'm making a Hallmark movie. How dare you? You want it to be true to life, though. Don't, no, I'm just yeah, No, not Hallmark. No, Lifetime, yes. Because then you kill the family and you're still a successful comic. <laughs> right. No, she's, she's fantastic. Always been incredibly supportive towards me. So it's, it's just, and she's been through hell. I mean, it, we first got married. We got married on, uh, August 11th, 2001. Perfect timing. Nice timing, because huh? a month later, I was gone. <laughs> I was gone the first year of our marriage. It was crazy. That's crazy. How um, mentally, I am fascinated by this, how you do the balance. Because at some point, right, you've got, everyone can say they don't have baggage. But you've got history, you've got baggage, you've got things that you've seen and done mm -hmm. that just make you who you are. It doesn't right. have to be bad. It could be good, bad, and different. It just makes who you are. The comics that I know, the people that I've had the privilege to spend time with and, and hang out with and bullshit with, it seemed like they had this uninterrupted cause minus failure. Like failure was the one cause they just kept going through. <laughs> like, well, I'm eating saltines for this week, right? Like, you know, uh, Jesse Mae Pelusa out of the North Northeast, right? She's like, fuck, you know, I'm taking care, trying to take care of my dad. I'm doing, this. you know, Whitney Chitwood. She's like, I'm finally at a place where I'm doing my thing and my parents aren't, you know, I'm not borrowing money to do it. Yeah. How do you, in the structure, was structure the thing that, because I always look at Brendan Schaub as kind of the anomaly, right? Because fighting and football, everything had such great structure around him that if he didn't put 10 hours into comedy a day like he did for Ultimate Fighting or he did for football, then he was a failure in his mind. 
so it accelerated a little bit. I'm wondering where baggage or whatever you've gone through, how you turn it into jokes. It's a very long question, probably the longest question. You're gonna, I mean, I, take I notes and show reporters how to not ask questions. Watch Jason here real quick. I, I know what you're. I know what you're trying to ask me. And it, okay. It, it, and it's you know the, the fact of the matter is is I I dealt with a lot of my uh, things that I had going on earlier before I started comedy. Some of them still plague me. I still, you know, like, uh, you know, just I, I'm diagnosed PTSD. So, I mean, I still okay. have some of those things that happen throughout time. But, you know, it's just I have found that I can put my energies into things um, to move forward. The, the problems I have is when I run out of things to do, um, whether it's writing or if I, like right now I have huge writer's block. So it's like I'm, I'm losing my mind with that. But, uh, you know, it's like. I find as long as I have places to put my energy, like things are okay. And the great thing about having a two-year-old is I always have some place to put my energy every single day. Um, 100%. She is an, an ever-ready battery. I mean, that little girl got some energy. I'd like a teaspoon of it and I'd be better. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's, it's something that I, I don't think any of us really get rid of. I think it's finding that constructive way. Because, I mean, I've gone down the alcohol aisle where I was really bad for a while. I've gone down the council now where I had to deal with that and all that stuff, you know, they, they ran their course and now I'm just, I'm trying to get healthy again. And, you know, because I, I'm, I'm grossly overweight, believe it or not, I used to be a monster in my day. I was just, I was fit as a fiddle. I, you know, I was one of the lead instructors at the police academy and, um, you know, but time, time changes and time moves on, you mature, you grow and Thank God for comedy because uh, it, it is definitely an outlet for me that I can just constantly pour energy into, and there's it's never ending. So it, it's like I don't have to worry about oh shit, I only got a year left and I have to retire. I don't have to worry about that. I mean, my my idol, you know, uh, Don Rickles, he did it till the day he died, and the man was in his nineties. So you know, Dude, him and Don Rickles and uh, and George Carlin, right? Ah, like, love them, love them both. On the road. I'm gonna do this until you literally pull the mic out of my hand. Pull it out of my hand. And if yeah. you can't, I'm not done. And and Joan Rivers, honestly, right? I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, Joan, Joan stopped doing stand up. Uh, like Don continued to stand until he died. That's true. Same with George Carlin. They both were doing stand until he died. And they, you know, Don Rickles never shut off either. Like if you were in a restaurant with this guy, he like you saw him in a restaurant, he'd walk up and start making funny at the table. I mean, just. He was always on, and I, I, I want to get to a point where I can just make fun of people all day long, and everybody just laughs about it. That makes my soul feel so good. <laughs> what do you think about, so, you know, in the, in the world of COVID-19, everything that's happening, right, and right. stand-up comedy and podcasting, Rogan signs a $100 million deal, minimum, uh -huh. right? We know it's at least that yes. with Spotify. Uh, obviously, bonuses and stuff, I'm assuming Rogan is more, but... It's funny because I look at it and I get excited. I get excited for comics because now you're, you're, you're not a single channel world. You're a multi-channel world, right? Your podcast, your YouTube, your whatever. Like, and he's legitimized that in some way with a, with, a, with, a, with a stroke of a pen from someone else giving him money. But then too, it's also, it is, oh wait, the influence of comedy is real. Oh yeah. Like, I mean, this is the, the second time in my life where I can honestly look and go, Oh, the influence of comedy is real early on in life with Cosby and with Eddie Murphy, 
Richard Pryor and Steve. Richard Pryor, right? It was influential. Like it, it, people were talking. Mm -hmm. And then there's this dead space for a long, long time. And even with guys coming up, you know, and I don't know what, I guess they call it a class for comics, right? Whoever is in that group of whenever you started comedy, whatever year you started, there's guys in New York and LA and Tampa and, you know, Lexington and Cincinnati that have all kind of started that time. And I'm assuming tour schedules, you kind of mingle or what have you. But it's like, in all of that, this seems to be arguably the best time to be a comic. They, uh, they, they said two years ago that podcasts were getting ready to hit a bubble. And uh, they, they said, they, and what was funny is one guy said, oh, yeah, they're going to stop, stop happening. They're going to go down. And the other guy goes, no, radio is going to disappear. Satellite is going to be on the ropes. And it's going to be nothing but podcasts. Nothing but. Gives everybody an avenue uh, to have a voice. And it's just, it's just, it's a freedom that we don't normally get. And we get to like, like, you know, I'm sure just like me, you're international. You got people in, in every yeah. country stuff and you don't know who they are. And it's amazing. You know, oh, I'll like, email I, you. This will go live Monday. So I'll email you like Monday afternoon or Tuesday morning and let you know our top five or seven countries. Yeah. It, it's just amazing. Isn't it? And it's like, huh? Like I was, uh, you know, as a veteran, you'll probably know the show, Tim Kennedy. Okay. One of my first guests. Uh, I know, well, that's, that's, I, know I know of him. So I didn't know him either. <laughs> and I emailed him and he was just like, sure. Yeah. And I was like, um, I, you're my fifth guest. Like, <laughs> you know, usually it's like the janitor, you know, uh, your neighbor. It's not Tim. And, yeah. But it was funny because he was one of those people who just kind of kicked me off. And I saw how uncomfortable, like I listened to that interview now and I'm so uncomfortable, but it also gave me such, uh, for lack of a better term, arrogance, right? Because I was like, oh, wait, I can talk to someone who could break my pinky off and kill me with it. And I'm not a total idiot. So I can probably talk to other people, right? I mean, like, I can't believe, and he's a veteran and then he's a fighter and he's an entrepreneur and then he's this, he's that and the other. And I bring it up because he reminds me of you. Ah, the breaking pinky part? Or the, uh, well, the, 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 the breaking pinky part, but we're so far apart, I feel really arrogant that I can say some shit. <laughs> Until I drive into Kentucky and you're like, I'm Archie, bitch. Uh, now here comes your pinky. But it's, it's that, it's the fact that you seem like the person and we'll bring it back to the movie here where you've got these geniuses and there's all these people like, the difference between real genius and what you've done and what Tim's done and what every stand-up comic's done is that there's the road, the military police road, right? Where it's like, you can go down this road and it's not going to be terrible. And we've, and society's kind of paved this road for you. So go down this. And then there's the stand-up comedy road. It's like, no one's paved this for you. I dare you to go down it. And by the way, the first five years are going to be horrible dog shit. It's going to be awful. And you're not going to feel great about yourself. But oh, well, oh, well. <laughs> you think about that for college. You think about that for, you know, this movie. It's like, uh, well, I just want to get, you think you're smart. We love your ideas. Now we just want to morph them into what we want from you. Right. Right. And it's some weird way. 
you've taken all of that morphing and you've been like, fuck the morphing. <laughs> I'm still, I'm just going to be funny. Well, you know, at the end of the road to be really funny on stage, you just got to be yourself. So. But some yeah. people are themselves and they're not funny. Like also to know that whether you're funny or not, right. Is, is a crazy thing. And I, I bring it up because I want people, I want listeners, I want people to be inspired in the fact that even in the most pragmatic approach to life, like you said, hey, I was homeless. Like if I didn't join the army, I don't know where I'm gonna sleep. Right. Even the most pragmatic adventures in life, they can catapult into something that's not pragmatic, that is something that is passion driven, that is something that is, that is, is, is multi-layered in, in a beautiful way that feeds your soul, but I think more importantly, feeds other people's souls and laughter and things that they want to do. You know? I, I'm with you on this train. I, I like this. I, I, I hope people actually feel that way. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's like, I'm not, sometimes I'm like this crazy hippie who's not a hippie because I just, I want people to be like, you guys, I don't, Samuel Jackson wasn't really being a good actor until he was in his 50s. He was doing plays and stuff in his 40s. So just don't get, I mean, COVID-19 has so many people discouraged. There's so much stuff going on. There's so many things uh, where you can show like, oh, well, I couldn't do this, right? Or, oh, well, this stopped me from doing this. And I'm not removing the relevancy from that, but yeah. I think there's an opportunity and what, the trail that you've blazed, Josh, and, and the trail that I think other comics have blazed, other entrepreneurs have blazed is, is very, very simple. Hey, be flexible and go ahead and enjoy life because it can get taken away. You know, it almost it, seems like you looked and you're like, it can get taken away. So, and God bless your wife. But it's, it's like, it can get taken away. So I'm just going to go for the thing that if you take it away, I've already had the taste of it and you didn't ruin it, you motherfucker. Well, no, I mean, it's like, it's like during my life, I've always had to do what I needed to do versus what I wanted to do. And sure. you know, I made a lot of sacrifices and I just, Jim Carrey put it the best. You can fail at the easy path. You know, the easy path can fail you. So you might as well just go for gusto because it, you, have, you really don't have anything to lose. I mean, if you, if you think, oh, it's going to be too hard or, or oh, you know, it, it's my dream, but I don't really want to go after it uh, because I could fail, then you, you're going to fail. I mean, you, you think how many times I've been told no? I mean, <laughs> like, and you're talking about you know, your first five years being rough. Dude, I don't have a soul anymore. I mean, it's just you get told and you, you, you're, you're in the middle of watching audience members yawn at you in the beginning or get up and walk out or, you know, it's just, and you, you've poured your heart and soul into what you're trying to do and they just don't get it, don't think it's funny. And then you turn, it turns out that you shouldn't have wrote it because it wasn't funny to begin with, but you had to get on stage and figure that out. You know, but you're going to fail. But if it's important enough to you, you got to go after it because you can fail doing easy things. You know, what like, is it? What's the false confidence like? And what I mean by that is, you get into a room and it's already hot, let's say. People are just willing to laugh. And uh -huh. you put out some stuff, you throw out some softballs and people are just doubled over and right. it's murder row. And right. then you're like, I'm taking this shit on the road. And you go to Baltimore and they're like, I suggest you go the fuck back home. None of that shit was funny. How do you handle the inconsistency of 
Well, it, all right. So the nature. What What's funny is funny. Period. I mean, you <laughs> make people laugh if you're doing your trade right. Um, sure. So there's been plenty of times that I tried jokes in different cities. And you know, either it'll get a it'll get a mild response or a temperate response. Then I'll go to a different city, and it, it brings the house down. Um, there's there's a, a rhyme to reason to it. You have to understand that sometimes, and this is sometimes, the crowd just sucks. <laughs> That's all it's doing. I mean, there there's some people get off work. You know, it's a Friday night show, and and they're either too drunk already, or you know, so you just you have to understand these things. But the good news is, what's funny is funny. When you got tried and true jokes, you can throw them out anywhere. You're going to get laughed. How hard they laugh, that's a different story altogether. You know, I mean, I've, I've seen straight up killers, guys that are, you know, headliners all over the country go into a room and it just, you know, the, the crowd's just got a tepid response. That's not I, him. You know, that's. I've, I've watched Bill Burr bomb. Yeah. I mean, bomb. Bill Burr. Yeah. Bomb. And guess what? It makes me like him as a fan more. Oh yeah, Chad Joey Diaz, Joey Coco Diaz. He bombs. I used to, I, I spent twenty years in L.A., so I got to you know. But it's That's like right. Joey Diaz. Him. I love him. You see him bomb. It makes me love him more because when he goes up and murders on the same joke that just he refigured or did something, and then the whole house comes down and I'm crying. It's the same joke. Yeah. He just figured out how to do it better. Yeah. How do you, how do you balance, as you said, I've, I don't have a soul. I've been rejected so much. How do you balance that? Which is, this is funny. I've just got to rework it versus, I mean, I'm going to shit those teeth out and I'll glue them back in. But how do you balance what you know is funny and you have to rework versus it's not funny. It's never going to work. How does that work? Well, I mean, just comedy 101 and someone's diligently taking fucking notes. Oh, forget the movie. Let's just do this. They're they're, they're really great questions. And the fact of the matter is is you you have to be mature enough on stage. And when I say mature enough, you have to, your nerves can't block your ability to hear and see. All right. If you're telling these jokes and you're looking at the crowd and they're not laughing, you have to take into consideration that it may not be as funny as you think it is. And when you try, like, I had this one joke um, that I did. Tell it. Can you tell it, please? I, I, it, was, it was about uh, the fact that we, we as men don't use that pee flap in your underwear. Like, we just don't. Like, I, I, it was a curiosity thing. I was just sitting in my bathroom one day looking at it going, no one actually uses that. The reason why I haven't worn underwear since I was 17. In case <laughs> you're wondering, in case you want to revisit this joke for Feel on the Road, at 17, I was like, I don't know what this shit is, and boxers will take a nut and they'll pin it to your leg in a way that you'll die soon. I haven't worn underwear since I was 17 because of those two things. <laughs> well, it, it just, it was a joke that had to do with that. And I was just, I was talking about, and I'd done it five different locations and it just wasn't hitting. And I said to a buddy of mine who's a fellow comedian, um, I, I said, you know, I think I'm going to dump this joke. And he goes, do it one more time tonight. And it, we were at Comedy Off Broadway and it, the crowd was pretty hot. He goes, try it one more time. And I went up there and I did it and it killed. And he's like, he's like, see, you just you can't can't bail on a joke too fast. But then again, after you've done it 10 times in like four different cities and it's not hitting, you got to dump it. I you got to dump it. There's been plenty of jokes that I've dumped, dumped or reworked or 
I mean, you just, you have to, if, if you don't rework your stuff, you're just, your, your set is never going to work. And that's, that's a lot of mistakes younger comics make. They, they don't, they keep doing the same jokes over and over again, thinking that they're going to get a better response. And if you didn't get a huge response the first 15 times you tried it, it's probably the joke. I mean, it's not them. They got the balls to get up on stage, which is more than a lot of people have. So Sure. Uh, you know, we're watching this. Of course, Real Genius takes place at college. Yep. Pacific uh, you uh you went uh into the military i'm assuming you you skipped college yeah uh actually yeah, ended up going to college I, ended up going to college you go military first then college i, I went on the jet so you know i mean i went to um my college experience was vastly different uh two different bible colleges i was a pastoral ministries major at northwest bible college in kirkland washington which was assembly of god so that's the white people that just love tambourines but no rhythm and don't wear don't wear underwear and speak in tongues right there's like they love to speak in tongues they love to beat on tambourines and then if they don't like the way you talk in tongues obviously a demon and the others they're okay we'll translate it for you and just trust us on the translation it's pretty loose yeah we got it and then um uh southern california where after i got kicked out of that bible college i think i put in another one because my parents are just like, if we can just in any way get him, you know, somewhere close to Jesus, that would be great. Just, it'd make us feel better. Like he has a chance of, you know, in the next world with the tambourine. It's going to be great. Um, so I didn't have, and there was a part of the, part of it was partying in the second college, obviously. Not the first one. It was fun and meeting people and doing stuff and, uh, and having a good time. But um, it was a lot more school than relationship. How was, or what was the contrast in joining the military and, uh, and, and boot camp and, and that camaraderie of pain versus the camaraderie of college? How do you compare the two or how do you see the two differently? Oh, I want to see them differently. But I haven't done both, so I'm not venturing in those worlds. For me, it was completely different. Uh, you know, military, I go into uh, basic training, and, you know, it, it, was a, it was a fail or die situation for me because I had no place to go. So um, it, I, I was terrified. I didn't know anybody. Uh, you know, I was completely cut off from everything. So it was a grab your ball sack and let's hope, uh, you know, you can man up for this. Uh, it was not easy. Basic training uh, was incredibly abusive to my body. I, I went in 206 pounds, came out 168. No. Uh, yeah, uh, because I just, uh, I mean, it was, it was horrible. Uh, I, have, I have memories of uh, in line for chow, you know, in the morning where you have to go to attention before you move, and then you have to snap the parade rest when you stop. And I was at the end of the line, so I was the platoon guy. That's the platoon commander as a cadet you know, as a, as a private in the, the basic training camp. And uh, I was at the end of the line and I fell asleep while I was in line. And I remember waking up and it was by the drill sergeant saying, you're next private. And I looked and I'm at the door. Somehow in my sleep, I was snapping to attention, walking forward and going to parade rest. In my sleep, I was doing that. Um, you know, it's just, it, it, there are so many memories of basic training that are just beat into me. I, I must I'm blown. I'm blown away by the sleep thing, right? The the yeah. mental memory, and then also your body just being like, 
we can shut Josh off real quick, if you don't mind. We're going to just shut this part off so it doesn't lose his fucking mind. I mean, I must have ate five pounds in South Carolina because, you know, my, when you're low crawling on the ground and the drone instructor steps on your, your helmet to get your head lower, you know. Sure. It's already there. So that South Carolina clay is still in my mouth somewhere. <laughs> wow. Uh, but but what's, that, what's that bond like for the men that – the men – and, and if there's women there, I don't want to just, you know, but what's that bond like uh, going through that training with those people? Well, I mean, you, you, you like, you, you're immediately friends with everybody uh, to an extent because you're all in the same boat. Um, and as you get used to things, you know, the, the divides happen, you know, like, the, sure. the but initially you're all like with each other. Um, but, you know, at the end of the end of the day, once you make it through that training, I mean, yeah, I remember hugging everybody, and I had—I think we went in with—I don't know—I want to say 85 privates. We came out with 58 because there was a bunch that didn't make it. Um, but I mean, I went from there to airborne school. You know, I—I I, uh, ended up being a ranger and and also. Air, oh air, shit! You were a ranger. I, I had the training. Calm down. Just the training. <laughs> I, was, I wasn't. I wasn't part of the special. Still, hold on. You did the training. Hold on. Let's just say. You did the training, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. A lot more than, you know, that's like, uh, you see the meme going around, you know, especially COVID, right? It's like, I'm an Instagram model. I'm a running back on uh, Madden 2019. Well, it's funny, uh, like a uh, buddy of mine, he wrote my bio for me because we, we figured out that you can't write your own bio because you just, you know, humble or you're too over, over the top. So my buddy wrote my bio. And he's like, uh, you know, give me, give me some stuff. And so I started talking some stuff. He's like, well, you know, why aren't you mentioning any of your military stuff? And I was just like, because it's not has anything to do with my comedy. He's like, dude, dude, you're you fucking, you're a ranger. And I was like, no, 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 I had the training, just the training. He's like, <laughs> see you. I was like, all right, <laughs> dude, that's crazy. I mean, you know, Tim was a ranger, Tim, Mr. Tim Kennedy. I get a little loose-lipped. I'm waiting for him to, he lives in Austin. I'm waiting for him to just drive over and slap me. It's Mr. Kennedy, watch your piece of cute son. I'll be like, you're right, 100%. Was but, like not a just training, not to get the tab ranger. He was like the actual ranger. Yeah, he was, the, but he was telling me about some of the shit. He's like, well, I had to do this and that kind of sucked. And I was yeah. like, what'd you have to do that sucked? He's like, well, the Sears training was awful and I can only tell you a little bit about it. And I was just like, good Lord, what you guys do I mentally. Rabbit starvation and- Yeah, ice cold, hot, no sleep, extra sleep, whatever it is. I, br I bring it all up because I just, and I do, there's a part of my mind that wants to go with this. So I'm going to throw it out there and then you either reel me back in or go, no, Joe, you just go and hang yourself. But <laughs> I just, I'm like, okay. if they're, you know, no one's going to believe that I hung myself. <laughs> in everything that you did and all the trials and tribulations you put your body through, the easy question is, how does that relate to comedy? I think the better question is, is, oh, you, there wasn't a transition. It was just abuse in a different way. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I formally got out of active duty in, in 2002. I didn't get out of the military until 2008. I was still reserve status. Okay. Um, 
so I, I joined Orange County down in Florida in 2006. Uh, so, you know, I, I, there was, there was about three years of just total neglect of my body going into, um, the academy where I paid for it. You know, it's just, it was funny because, you know, I, you know, I was a drill instructor in the, in the army. So, I mean, like going into the academy, I've got these instructors yelling at me and I'm thinking, all I can think in my head is you're right. Is they're going, it's your fault. Your body's this way. And I'm going, you're right. I know you're right. I hate you anyway, but you're right. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just, it, there's a mindset to it. Once you can get your body to comply with what you're doing, your, your mind just kind of goes along with it. It's funny what we can put ourselves through. And, you know, right now I'm trying to lose a significant amount of weight for a lot of reasons, health reasons, my knee. Yeah, I, I'm on disability for my knee from the army. Um, you know, so there's a lot of things going on with like me that I'm trying to get in control. I'm on blood pressure meds I want to get off of. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do a lot of things. And, you know, my body, again, is not in any type of fit state. So I'm out there and I'm walking and trying to run. I'm with my daughter sometimes. You know, I push her on with, with her carriage. And, and uh, it's funny because I have a drone instructor mind. So I'm yelling at myself in my head going, you better push yourself, you. You know, and I'm just, I, my body is going, fuck you you know <laughs> so things aren't just moving right you know but it's it, it, it the motivation is still there and everything is still working i just have to get everything in line so transition wise i mean dude i know guys that got out of the service that are just completely messed up and they're still messed up today i, I know guys that got out and like nothing happened and they're just like you know now they're they're working at rvs or they're you know at, at their brother's car lot or whatever and everything's fine and those are the guys i worry about the guys that are showing no like there's they're just like oh today i'm i'm now a car salesman it's like those are the guys i work what what do you think you know from everything you've done from you know just being hard on yourself uh post to pre when you're going through everything what um can you look back on anything in your life a mom a dad uh situations that um that allowed you to be prepared for military to where when you left, you had a smooth transition out, or is it just you? Is it just Josh, just being Josh? It's just me, man. I, uh, I got kind of the shin to the stick in my family. My family broke up when I was like eight. Okay. Didn't spend a lot of time with my dad. Unfortunately, I never really got to know him too well. He died in 2008. Um, my mom, love her to death. She's, she's down there in Florida. She's an old Yenta. Uh, now she's, Getting, you know, she's in almost, Florida, it was perfect. She's, she's, she's in her group. She's doing she's, good. She's in place to break her hip. She's fine. Um, no, but I mean, you know, it's just they, they didn't, by the time I came around, they, they were already on their way out the door. No one was really worried about raising me. So uh, everything, everything I have, it's, it's, it's this guy. Um, and that's unfortunate because both my brother and my sister has all <laughs> tried to help. And, you know, it is what it is. How do you, you know, so you were you're you're moving men now you're moving yourself right i mean you went from being the mind that is the mind for men uh you know to the mind that is the mind that's just moving you right i mean you've of course have a daughter and a wife but how do you how do you navigate that world how are you you know it's like i mean i see the star trek stuff behind you right the the the, the piece behind you Right, and it's like you look at it, and you're like, "Listen, I love Star Wars as well. It's a joke." My my buddy Reese is going to listen to this. He's be like, "I hope he shoots you in the face at some point in time." 
and, and I say it as a joke. He's like, you don't get Star Wars, Star Trek jokes, Jepson. You shouldn't get in this world. But I bring all that up because I think it's important as our character here, who's the laser beam character, is figuring out. He's like going under the school. He's riding the cart. He's. I bring it up because you've got a, you've got a daughter, but you've uh, got you. You've got a wife, but you have you. And at some point here, there's a roller coaster ride. Oh, right? yeah. And are yeah. you the long-haired guy that runs into the closet? If someone follows, then everything is going to, the light's going to be seen, but also it's the scariest shit because it's the smartest shit in the world. Or are you the kid riding the roller coaster in Real Genius? Or more importantly, are you Val Kilmer who goes, I know the roller coaster's there. I've, I've, I've had the temptation to, to jump down some things. More importantly, I have not given it the temptation of, of the rest of what life has thrown at me in the hardest times or the best times. But instead, I'm going to be this person, this charismatic, fun person. And it's not that I, I couldn't be the long-haired hippie guy underneath the college trying to figure shit out on his own and I, yeah, and I and I and I couldn't be the new kid who's just figuring it out he's trying to balance what's going on but also you're not the military prick in the headband and the black sweatsuit you seem like you're the Val Kilmer in all of this Once again the longest question ever I mean, I would absolutely love to take credit for being just <laughs> badass as all hell. But I, I think I, I'm a cross between Val and Gabe Garrett's character. Which I don't remember what Gabe's character's name is. Um, but uh, I, I'm a cross between the two of them because I am charismatic and I'm funny and I'm out there and I, I think of crazy things. But I'm also still the new kid on the block trying to figure his way through. <laughs> Sorry about that. Went to stand up, move things up. So hold on. So as as the charismatic person, and also as not because of PTSD, how do you manage that? Uh, how do I manage? It? Oh well, you know, it's just it, it's it's your personality. You know, you it like every other thing in our PC culture world, uh, comics have to do with the exact same thing. I mean, you, you go into a place that you've never been before. You want to be charismatic, but you don't want to be too overbearing. You're still the new kid, you know, cause you haven't been there before. So everybody kind of has to take time to get to know you. So, I mean, it's just, it, it's a balancing act. When you, if you're smart and you know how to, as we said in the military, if you're not a ticket punch, then, you know, you, you, take care of what you need to do. You make the friends you need to make, you, you make the acquaintances and the relationships you need to do. So hopefully they'll invite you back. And of course, you gotta be funny. <laughs> Absolutely, and in this crazy cancel culture world, right? In this world where judgment, and I don't have to see everything through all the way. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've got it. In that world, it seems like to me, comedy is more important than ever it really I, is i agree how do you and i don't because i how do you in this world where comedy is more important than ever 
you're one of the people carrying that flag. Well, I mean, you're, you're you are there. though, right? I mean, like comedy's <laughs> more important than ever. It really is. Like pushing the boundaries and the the sims, hims, thems, theys, and the don't call me a her, don't call me a him, don't in the in the in the, in the rounded corner world of life where everyone's like but don't offend someone but still be funny in all of that comedy is just like and dave Chappelle probably with kick him in the pussy with that special and then his other two specials that came after that right really it was just like we're not playing this fucking game we're comics we're gonna just be bold i'm wondering how are you you like where's the weight do you not, I mean, is there, is there a thing where you're like, man, I, I really think this joke would be funny, but mm, I can't say it. Or are you in that world where you're just like, you know what, if we're not here, what's lost is so monumental that I'm not going to leave it to Dave Chappelle to, to try to break down the barriers. I'm going to keep this comedy thing alive and I'm going to put it about comedy especially when you understand how to do stand-up comedy is you understand that it is subjective first off second mm -hmm. off it is it is you if, if, as long as you're doing comedy that you know like the topics i tackle are things that i know and sure they're, they're something that has to do with me um as long as i stay on that tack i, I mean it, you're going to be who you are you know it's like there, there are a lot of uh, you know, blue comics out there where they're dropping F-bombs every, every second. You know, I, I, in my normal speech, I might drop one here and there, but in my comedy, I don't really do it um, because it's just, it's, that's not the, the thing that I'm trying to put across. You know, I, you, you have to find who you are on the stage. And once you find out who you are on the stage, it, you, you can't, there isn't a line that you cross. There isn't anything you really have to worry about because you're just being true to who you are. And, you know, if, if, if someone gets mad at you because of something you said, which it's, it's happened, um, they can get glad in the same pants they got mad in because you're not doing it personally. It's not a personal attack on anybody. And as long as everything is done with no malice intent, there's no racism either. Racism is about hatred. And yeah. if, you're, if you're just telling a joke, uh, for example, the, the underwear joke that I was telling you about earlier, and I got, to, I got told by one guy that this was cringeworthy. Let's see what you think. Um, I said that, um, you know, I, nobody uses that pee flap because most of us guys, we just go over the fence, right? And I said, well, unless you're black, then you take it off the bottom. <laughs> I don't think that's cringeworthy. I think that's probably mostly factual. I, I don't know. That's I, hilarious, though, too, because it's like, also, what's the cringeworthy part about just giving a group of males the fact that you just have big dicks? Right. In a world where... It's like, man, what do we decide is okay to say and not okay to say? It's like, well, man, just, I can't believe how horrible you are that you said I had a big dick. It's like a horrible thing to say. I, I've had people get mad at me in the crowd. There was, there was one. There was, a, was her name Karen? <laughs> I have a joke about Karen, too. Don't get me started. <laughs> Let's start. I'm, I'm flabbergasted by two things. Flabbergasted. And I got emails about this and I have not told Whitney this and I, I probably wouldn't tell her. I'll say it here because I mean, I love Whitney Chitwood to death. I think she's a hilarious comic. However, I also have a very real aspect that she's very busy and doesn't listen to this podcast. So she's been a guest, she'll be a guest again, but that's okay. Like 
guests don't have to listen after they're done. They've already listened to me for two hours. Probably horrible. But I got people that are like, hey, um, I can't believe you're doing this. I can't believe you're celebrating a lesbian. I can't believe you're doing this. And I was just like, well, first of all, one, it's free. No one, you didn't sign up. It's like HBO Max where you like pay $9.95 and all of a sudden this thing enters your home that you didn't want to. Right. One, I'm, I'm free. Two, the show starts with my daughter at two years old saying, I pooped a big one. and ends with her talking about the first time she shit by herself and then wiped her ass. And how excited and how happy she is that she did a poop. Hey, I, I got a poop joke for you. So being a dad. But in that, in that world, right? In that world where those are the two buffers, there were still people going, I can't believe you talked to a lesbian. Well, I mean, you're going to have that, though. You're, you're going to have people. You can't please 100% of the people 100% you, of the time. That's all you, they're doing. Yeah. Right. And I, mean, I never thought I would be in that world because of just who I am. And I naively write it to podcast. I'm like, who the fuck cares? I'm, I'll talk to whoever. I yeah. get it. Like, I have comic friends. I get it. You guys get shit for what you say instantly. Like, there's always a Karen or a Doug. There's always some guy going, you know, I'm a Mormon. I don't like the way you talked about us. You fuck multiple women. Why don't personally, great, all right, go to Mexico or just South Utah, whatever. That, that, where the hell did you learn how to do that? I'm yeah, gonna, it's just like, it's like. Canadians, I hope they were allies. <laughs> it's, it's hilarious because it's like, I've seen my friends go through it. And all yeah. of a sudden I'm like, why am I getting an email? Like, I'm like, I'm forwarding it to other friends going, I don't know why I got this email. And they're like, oh no, welcome. You're doing okay. You pissed someone off. Yeah, no. Infamy is just as good. <laughs> yeah, on, on YouTube sometimes I get like, you know, the, the and I'm laughing because it's, you know, it's like, good, infamy is good. That means you listen. And, you know, now you're going to go bitch somebody. Somebody else is going to come watch it. And boom, that, that's fine. Uh, but being, being, a, being a fellow dad of a, of a little girl. Yes, please. This is one of my quarantine jokes that I've written uh, since there, and it's dumb as shit. And I apologize to your listeners because it's such a dad joke, but I couldn't resist it. It made my, it made me and my wife belly laugh for a little while because it's just dumb. But so my, my, my daughter had a blowout. I mean, it was bad. It was upper back. Did it go up the back? I was going to say, did it? Upper back. It was everywhere. Okay. Her, I mean, it was just, it was everywhere. So I'm, I'm trying to change her. And I'm like, I said, I said, honey, I, you know, I'm going to need more than two hands for this. I need your help. So she comes in there and she's helping me change her. And I look at her, I said, she had a Mexican poop. My wife goes, a Mexican poop? Why is it a Mexican poop? I said, because it made it over the wall. <laughs> I'm in, I'm in on this joke. I'm a thousand percent in, how dare you, sir? I am 1000 as a dad who's literally caught shit in my hand when I'm trying to change a diaper and she's got diarrhea and some shoots out. Right. And my, my dumb athletic reflexes from when I was in high school, when I knew I was never going to make the NFL or the NBA or a division four college, right. those, that muscle memory still go, I'll catch that shit. And I'm like, guess what, muscle memory? If you were that good, we wouldn't be here right now. We'd be the NFL, just bringing down balls all day long. But you dumb fucking assholes are like, we'll save this for 
when he's 43 and his daughter shits across his hand. Let's save the muscle memory for that. Yeah. Fuck you, brain. The <laughs> worst. It's the absolute worst. It reminds me of my damn smartwatch that I have on all the time. Now, if I'm sitting around too long, the damn thing will come to get up and move. I'm like, fuck you, watch. You don't know my life. First of all, I know. And I'm comfortable. And at least Netflix, it's like, it's the battle between the smartwatch and Netflix. The smartwatch says, get up and go move around. And Netflix goes, hey, uh, are you still watching? <laughs> well, it's COVID-19. I'm, I'm 100% still watching so what um with uh you know you look at you look at real genius and this is the and i find this and and no once again this is a long road to a very simple question that you're gonna send me edit notes but jason you can ask questions this way it's a lot easier <laughs> the nerds that are super nerds right they um they figure out this light flirting this where it's like we shouldn't date but we're gonna date and it's like i see that about comics right like every comic's like i don't want to date a comic and you know i mean of course tom and christina they're the most probably popular or most well-known married couple and there's others and you are not in a, i'm assuming your wife is not a comic you're not in that, that same she's the same not in that same space but it's like you see this nerdy intervention here where there's like well how do relationships work and i wonder with comics how relationships work and the reason i ask is because i only see it in two ways I, and, and this is just me from the outsider i see it one way i see carlos mencia will be friends i'm going to steal your jokes and then i see you know joe rogan's group which is like we're all best friends, so we're obviously the funniest motherfuckers on the planet because we're all best friends. They're damn near close. And they're pretty close, right? I mean, <laughs> but it's like, but it's like, so it seems to be those two things. And then there's this middle group of people, and they're labeled alt comic or this comic or that comic. But alternative comics, those are the guys that you know are making their own shows, doing their own hustles, uh, refusing to go into the comedy clubs, that kind of thing. Um, I mean, it, to me, it's, it's whatever, whatever strokes you put. I mean, you got bills to pay, you're trying to make comedy full-time. Comedy clubs are very, very difficult to get into. Sure. So I, yeah, so I don't really, uh, you know, fault them for that or anything. But, you know, um, the fact of the matter is, is uh, I, you know, I've been thinking about this movie you know, uh, the fact that Laszlo Hollyfield, the entire movie is doing nothing but ticket punching. He's literally punching tickets to send in for the Frito-Lay Frito sweepstakes. The entire movie, that's like batches and batches. All he, he wants to do. All, all the time. That's what comics do. All we do. The comics that are in the clubs, we constantly mail out emails. I mail out 56 emails every month to clubs all across the nation looking for dates. I'm constantly doing that. Then at the end of this film, he hits what every comic wants. He wants to win some of that prize, so he gets gets those club dates and stuff. So that's a good little uh, analogy with that movie. Are you are you on a kind of a group where you're um, you'll hit Tampa or Charlotte, especially like Texas is opening up, right? If, by the way, you come to Texas, let me know. I will. I'll get a babysitter. I will show up. I will, <laughs> we will have some fun. But um, are you in a are you in a group? 
that's why I mean, like, like, like uh, I talked about earlier, like the, the graduating classes groups, like, oh, we started comedy in, in you know, this era. The, the, the comics that started right around the time I did, uh, there's only like one of them left. He's, he's doing really well. It's, it's a rough gig, man. It is a really rough gig. It I'm is. My area. Um, but, you know, there's, there's a group of us, like that, a bunch of us in the area here, we're, we're all trying to get healthy together. We're in the Nike, uh, the Nike club app, you know, the walking app. Where you, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we all were like competing each other, trying to get so many miles a month and stuff. I, I mean, we support each other as far as mental health wise. Um, but you know, it, it, the comedy world's really lonely until you get to a certain point. So you can't really use Joe Rogan as a, an example because he's, he's the pinnacle of what everybody wants. I mean, uh, Bert Crusher and I've worked together, Tom Segura and I've worked together. They're, they're fantastic guys. I've had to work with Joe, I'd love to work with him. Um, but I mean, these guys are an upper echelon and a, a, a royalty level as far as comedy is concerned. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a feature comedian, so what that means is I play in the middle. So I'm, sure, you're I'm not a feature the, act, right? You... I'm not the headliner, I'm not the MC. I'm in the center, sure. which, is, which is the largest pool. The most of us, 80% of the comics out there are in the same pool as I So you imagine the competition is great. Um, so, like, we, we don't try and hurt each other. Like, like the ones I know, we don't, we don't try and, like, Oh, you don't want him. You want me. That kind of thing. That does that. You know, I haven't seen that happen, but I'm sure it does. I'm sure it does. It's very competitive out there. Um, you know, me. I, I'm not. I, my personal opinion. I'm not stepping on anybody's neck to get anywhere because it's not worth it. Um, you know, I'm. I'm not a young comedian. I'm. You know, I'm more than middle aged, and I just. I'm trying to make it the right way. I'm trying to do the steps the right way. I, my mentors. You know, Scott Wilson and Lee Cruz and uh, Daryl. Oh, Scott Wilson. Great. Scott, Wilson, Scott Wilson's been doing comedy since 1982. He is Stop. Now, Are you serious? Yeah, he's he's been the house MC at Comedy Off Broadway since 1995, I want to say. Uh, so he's been there for you know 25 years. Um, but Scott is amazing. He's he, he's tall, big, disgruntled, uh, funny as hell, salty as hell. Uh, you know, he he uh, but he's he's taught me a ton about comedy. And you know the proper ways to do things, and it's all old school. So you know I, I've listened to all that. Um, Daryl Lennox is another one of my uh, my my mentors. And he's a fantastic blind comedian out of Canada, um, and uh, Anna May is another uh, mentor of mine. She uh, she's taught me a ton of mechanics on stage, and uh, you know it's just when you have good people, you know, teaching you things. I think that's how you end up putting out good things. Uh, it's like in the military. I mean, you, when we taught, you know, recruits how to do things, we wanted you to sweat and bleed in, in, in practice. So when the real thing happened, you didn't sweat and bleed. I mean, that's sure. the point. You know, they, they taught me, you know, to bust your ass at the open mics. I mean, my first two years in comedy, I hit over 500 mics. I mean, it, it, I, was, I was nuts. I was traveling all the time. Um, but, I mean, you got to get, get that leg in there you know you got to get those reps in there because that's what it's all about comedy is about getting on stage you can't get like there's a ton of people out there that think that you can just start writing and you write things that you tee is funny on paper here's a fact and this is something that a lot of people will, will let people know about but here's a fact if you're writing comedy and you think it's funny on paper it's probably not going to be funny on stage stage comedy it's all about this right here and uh, you have to know your lines so well that you stop worrying about them, that you're just performing because it's all about the performance. How much is the physical part? <clears throat> I mean, because it's like without being carrot top. 
And well, I don't mean to not carrot top, right? I'm no. not. I'm not saying that as a disrespect. No, I'm just like, like no, carrot not. top is physically one. He's a specimen, but two, he's like he's got physical comedy. He's got things going on. But you just alluded to you pointed to your face. Yeah. Yes. So, like, like Brian Regan is a great example of this. Like Brian Regan, uh, rock star. Yeah, rock star. Hysterically funny. If you if you just read what he says, you're gonna be like, eh, it, you know, it's all right. But if you watch what he does while he's saying it, it's everything. And you know, it's it's the way he hangs his mouth open when he's gat. He's like, oh. you know, when he does, like everything about it. That's what makes you laugh. It, 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 it's it's eighty percent what you're seeing and twenty percent what you're actually saying. Um, there are some comics, as you know, that can just stand there and say lines and they're hysterical. Stephen Wright comes to mind when I say that. Sure, because what he's saying is just mind blowing. Uh, but Emo Phillips, half of what Emo Phillips would said is it wouldn't be as funny if he wasn't doing all this crap that he does. Sure, um, you know, so like when you say physical, I mean like the way your face is like. Because there are physical comedians out there that are just tripping all over the state. Like Dane Cook, he's a very physical comic. He's, I mean, he's all over the place. Fantastic, hysterically funny. Um, you know, but but also like Steve Martin kind of fits the bridge of what you're both saying, right? Where he went, or Chevy Chase went very physical to Chevy this Chase. presence that's like you know what I'm gonna do, and right. because you know, I'm gonna just do part of it. Right to ease your consciousness to allow you to laugh as hard as you want to laugh. I'm going to make you wait for it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How does, I think there's, there's two generations that are around us, right? Yeah. There's the generations kind of that we grew up in and we saw, we saw the Richard Pryor's, the Eddie Murphy's, the Bill Cosby's and we we're like, fuck, we, one, we could relate with what they're saying to a point of relating to where we're like, uh, not only can we relate, but we could do this because I know this guy that runs super fast and has a pudding pop in his hand and it drips down his arm and it gets on his elbow and twitches his white church pants and he's done. And then you have the Eddie Murphy side and then you have everything else. And then there's, it seems like it'd be this, not to disrespect comedy, but when you talk about great comics, I want to know who the great comics are from 87 to 92. I mean, Seinfeld's one of them. Carlin's one of them. But Seinfeld, was he a, he did it more for a show than he, I think he did for, no? Seinfeld started stand-up comedy in the 70s. And he, he was, uh, he, he was doing 15 minutes. Like the place he was doing in New York City, he, he'd have to go up on stage and he'd have 15 minutes to kill. And whether he was doing material or just kind of going, I don't know what to do. Like he had 15 minutes. He had really. Yeah. And, and that's like nowadays that's rare as shit. You don't get yeah. an open mic. But uh, you know, it, he just, yeah, he was doing stand up for a long time. Like that show came way after his, his career started taking off. Um, you know, Carlin was doing stand up in the 50s. Car Carlin obviously probably, in the he, darkest times of comedy was still the king of comedy. He, he's doing, he, he'll be on the top 10 list of all time best comics forever. There's nobody, I mean, him and Lenny Bruce are just people that aren't gonna come off that list, I don't think. Could you say though that Carlin's transitions where Lenny Bruce's doesn't, as far as time goes? I, this is my personal opinion. People can Perfect, argue. get after it. 
this is my personal opinion. I just I think Lenny Bruce said things because he knew they were going to be controversial. He knew they were funny too, like there was that aspect of it. But I think he was doing it just to prove a point. Like he was he was that guy. Um, I mean, honestly, he got famous because he kept getting arrested. That's why he got famous. Sure. And you know, was he funny? Sure. I mean, for the time, he was definitely you know funny. But uh, he he was groundbreaking, is what he was. Um, it- and not to, and I, I don't mean to throw shade or salt, but is there anyone that other comics put on the Mount Rushmore that you're just like, I don't get it? Like I would say, and, 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 I'll, and, I'll, and I'll throw myself out there first, right? So and not in comedy, but I'll say for boxing. Mike Tyson is, is an amazing boxer. He's an amazing talent. But if you look at the people he fought. We'll, we'll get along just fine. He, he is. <laughs> Hands, like people who just think he was a Neanderthal and went out there with just calling these suits, they're idiots. No. And like Customato taught him how to box. That, yes. that knows how to box. He knows the boxing science. He is a pugilist. I mean, if they get the film and they do with Jordan what they did with Mike in five years, yeah. it's going to be, once again, one of the greatest watched documentary series of all time. However, I will say this. Mike Tyson only beat up old boxers that were considered great when they were old. I don't know anyone that was on his par that he beat up that, you know, I mean, he just... Well, I mean, think about it, though. Like, who else was boxing during Yeah, that? no, it's a, that's the hard part of Mike Tyson, right? It's like, it's not... It's not like he ducked anybody. They just No, was, it just, yeah. they just weren't there. I mean, I, a lot of those guys, I, I mean, they're, they're hell of a good boxers. It's just that yeah. when, when Iron Mike hit you, you were done. And, and yeah. there's two of it. I mean, and we're talking about guys like, like Evander Holyfield, fantastic boxer. Perfect. Um, just couldn't handle, you know, getting clocked that hard. Uh, and he doesn't have a glass jaw at all. Um, and he proved it. He came back and beat him, you know. Uh, like, you know cause but he, also, he, Evander Holyfield, let's be honest. Would he pass a piss test today? <laughs> but, all right, different show. Different. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like everyone celebrates him, and no one wants to just throw that that rock in the pond that goes. You were a lightweight, and you went to heavyweight, and you were clean. I mean, it's like saying the Rock doesn't have anything going on besides. Uh, I'm not talk about Dwayne. I love Dwayne Johnson so much. I love, listen, I love him too. But I think it's a it's a foolish endeavor to be like he's he doesn't take any supplements. He's an eggs and chicken guy. Yeah, he's, he's definitely just raw eggs. He's rocky. raw eggs. He's rocky. He's raw eggs. He's rocky. And and I and I, I bring all that up because I mean once again it's like there's a false normality to where we want to position people, right? A and B in that false normality, right? You look at comedy. Josh, if no one saw you when you first started and they see you now and they're, they're, they're in the, what the, where's the, the funny bone in Ohio? Where's that one at? Uh, Dayton. Dayton, Ohio, the funny bone in Dayton, right? They see you at the funny bone and they're, they're just like, I've never seen this guy. This is amazing. I'm grabbing my sides. I'm following on Instagram. No one saw the years going up. Just like no one saw the years of The Rock working hard to lift to get to where he's at today. Just like no one saw the years of, of, of 
Cosby. No one saw the, the, the years of Eddie Murphy. No one saw the years of Dane Cook when he wasn't funny. I was living in LA when Dane Cook was bombing. I was there. Yeah. All right. I was at that shitty Irish bar in the back where they only did comedy, or sometimes he murdered, and sometimes it just fell on deaf ears. I was literally there. I mean, I think all of us comics go through it. It, it, it cracks me up that, uh, that you remember it was, it was probably 10 years ago, 15 years ago, maybe even, when, uh, maybe 10 years ago, Kevin Hart really hit it big. Oh, yeah, but that was, the, you talked about a Rogan. The Shaquille O'Neal thing catapulted it. Well, I mean, Shaquille and everybody, I, I remember everybody was going, oh, man, this new guy, Kevin Hart, this new guy, Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart's been on the road 20 years already. You know, yeah. he, he's already out there. I mean, you, to say that man went from nothing to stardom in, in a year, you're crazy. I mean, that's just not how it works. Uh, you know, it, it, Chris Vandrolo, who's one of my first guests on, on my podcast, uh, he was on Chelsea Lately and, and all that kind of stuff. He, I mean, he, he's been around a long time. He, he said, you know, you literally you can put a, a stopwatch to it and exactly how long it's going to take you to hit it. Um, so because it's just, there's so many bumps and bruises comics have to go through. Uh, but to go back to your Mount Rushmore thing, you know, I, I definitely think, um, you know, Eddie Murphy's one of those guys, he, he is a complete rare phenom. Um, there's nobody that hits it as big, as fast as Eddie Murphy did. There's nobody. You gotta remember when he did that Eddie Murphy Delirious, yeah. he was like 22, 23 years old, okay? I, I, if you think about that, he didn't have 20 years to get good. This kid just came out a comedian. I mean, he was just, he, he, to this day, I think Eddie Murphy is by far one of the best comics to, to live just because of the fact that this man went from zero to nothing so fast. There's none of us that can do that. None of I us. mean, one, one and two, right? You look at him and then you look at Chappelle. In my humble opinion, I think they're one and two. Dave Chappelle is easily one of the best comics ever as well. Dave Chappelle is so good at what he's doing, he, he thinks it's a joke. He's like, he, he and his friends get together and they throw topics in a big fishbowl. And he says, go ahead, pick one out. I'll create an actor on it. And he does. Stop. And that's how, yeah, that's how good he is. Dave Chappelle is just amazing. Um, I, I don't think Bill Cosby can get up there, unfortunately. Nope. It comes I think Richard Pryor needs to be up there. Richard Pryor is amazing. Is, is it weird, though, that Richard Pryor could do all the drugs, talk about hitting his girlfriend, and go through everything, but he was so funny, and he was so engaging, and he was so open about it, that you're like, we'll take him? Bill Cosby hid his dirty, dark secrets like a fucking pervert. He hid him. And we're like, that's right, bitch. And you go hide in your fucking cave and die. I don't want to hear your comedy. You should go on my TikTok and look up my Bill Cosby joke. You'll laugh. <laughs> uh, Steve Martin, definitely somebody that needs to be on that hill. Robin, yep. another, Robin Williams is another phenom. I mean, that, that man, yeah, cocaine drove him too. You know, But you're going to find that 90%, 95% of the comics that you run into, they've got mental health issues. They've got alcoholism. They've got drug problems. Um, it, it's, it's what makes most of us funny you know because we've been through the school of hard knocks why why is that why is brokenness the thing that also makes us funny tragedy plus time but but why i mean like you don't honestly i guess dave anthony right the dollop right most if you will no offense to gareth no offense no offense to gareth and i love gareth to death i think gareth is on here He's wittier, but Dave Anthony, right, came from an affluent background, 
so some could argue, right? And I'm not I'm not judging his political sides or anything else, but Dave Anthony to me is like to your, to what you're bringing up is like the rarest person of who has the most normal childhood, outside of saying his dad's an alcoholic, which okay, but he has this like kind of normal thing. It's like all right, who is what kid born in the seventies? Hyperbole, obviously. But my dad was an alcoholic. He beat the shit out of me. Do we really want to play this game, Dave? Like, I mean, this is your this is your linchpin. Stop! You're just fucking funny. Yeah. And and this is where and I'll bring it back to full circle to the beginning of our conversation. Your wife saying, "Go up and make me laugh. This is my gift. My gift is you making me laugh, and you're doing a fucking microphone." We dance around all these things. At what point do we just admit that some people are just fucking funny? Well, you know, there, there are, I, I think all, all these guys, every last one, regardless of the fact that they have these different issues going on in their life, sure. they're all very funny individuals. But and I think uh, people feel like they have to be like, if I didn't go through this tragedy, if I wasn't this, if I wasn't, with the Russian mob robbing a train, Burt Kreischer style. If I'm not Tom Segura talking about how I'm going to kill the Starbucks girl if she gives me two pumps, not one pump of, 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 of milk or cream or whatever it fucking is. If I'm not this, then, I, then obviously I, I can't be funny. Well, I mean, you the, definitely have to have something special. There has to be something sure. special about you to make it big. All right, now me personally, I want to make a living doing this. I'm not after trying to be, you know, Mr. Huge and popular or whatever. I mean, if it happens, great. I mean, it's only going to make my life easier as far as trying to get gigs. But I mean, ultimately, I just, I want to be able to consistently make a living doing this. And that, sure. that's, that's, you know, the struggle that I'm at. Um, but there are a lot of people that have these outlandish ideas. I, I know, I know new comics that are in their 20s and they think, you know, I'm going to go up there and I'm going to do my thing. And then five years from now, I'm going to be on Joe Rogan talking about how badass I am. It's just not realistic. You know, it's just, it, it, there's, a, there's so many things that go into this, but you have to be, you have to be really special to make it huge. Um, in my opinion. I mean, there's, there's something about you that's just different than everybody else. You got a different look on everything else. And, you know, you, you separate yourself somehow. Um, me, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a middle-aged white bald guy uh not exactly a popular model nowadays um you know so i mean i'm smiling over here because i'm like you're i've listened to your comedy i like it you're funny i like your instagram i like following you i i like list i like seeing what you're posting i like i like everything about it so i smile because the funny thing is you bring those things up like the, the i'm not the most popular i'm the white bald comic military police officer now this like, hey let's make some jokes <laughs> and the funny thing is is i mean i i don't see any of those things the weird thing is i see none of those things when you're doing your comedy not saying that you don't have comedy that brings in parts of your former life as i think all comics do i yeah. think it's, 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 it, it, it creates a connection but i also i don't see it that if that makes sense. Like, I don't see it. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't, 
Oh yeah, no, yeah. He's in his fatigues running through the the, the desert when he's doing <laughs> this joke. I get it. No, hundred percent. Like we should, we should yeah, no, I know. I mean I vision both. I follow his Instagram, so he's got his old pictures up so I can no 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 no. And that's you know, I mean, it was one of the things where I wanted to ask you to come on because it's like I didn't know these parts about you, and it further emboldens the part that I don't know these parts about you. And your comedy is you. And it doesn't, how do I put this? I get frustrated with comedy that comes in with baggage that goes, well, I had these things happen to me. So I see the world this way. So now laugh because <laughs> look what I've gone through. <laughs> look at my misery. Look laugh. at my misery, <laughs> you son of a bitch. Let's go. It's like, it's like the tests in Real Genius. She's like, we all did it. We all got the same access to the books. Here we go. Blah, 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 blah. I love how you circle back to the movie every now and then. You like it? I will. I will. I will do these, these circle backs and people get friends like, by the way, you missed my favorite part of the movie. And I was like, you know, this is the first time you've emailed me. And they're like, yes, I do. I was like, so. The, the antagonist in this movie is played by an actor named uh, William Atherton. He who, who, you will rue the day. You will. Is this the first time you heard rue the day? It was the first time. This movie, I heard you will rue the day. In, in the 80s, it absolutely was. It, uh, that was uh, no, that was, that's Kent that said that. That's Not, Kent. That's right. That's Kent. That's true. Professor. Uh, the red-haired guy? Yes. Yeah, with the sorry. braces? Yeah. And, and it was, no, no, no. That's Kent, the guy with the braces. Uh, it, he's, he's the boss. He's the one that, he's uh, Dr. Hathaway. Yes. He, he brings him to uh, Pacific Temp. What's funny about William Atherton is that every single movie he's in, it's the same effing character. <laughs> like he's in Die Hard. He plays that uh that the reporter in Die Hard. Do you remember? Boobies, boobies, boobies. We're gonna get it on camera. Don't worry about it. We got it. We got it. We got it. <laughs> it's great. Would you would you live in that world if you were if you were cast stereotyped? If you were that that yeah, guy, would you live in that world? Of course I would. Uh, it, it, that uh, another comic uh, asked me something similar to that. Like uh, he he can play guitar. He can sing. A uh, guy by the name of Alex Gorley, he's a very, very funny guy, um, but he plays these funny songs, and, uh, you know, and, and every, like, we go to these mics together, and he'd show up without his guitar, and he said, what are you doing? And he goes, well, you know, I, I, I don't want to just be that guy that does, you know, guitar and singing funny songs, uh, and I was like, okay, and what if someone hears that song and wants to record you, and then you get paid money? He goes, yeah, but again, I don't, I was like, dude, Fame is fame. It doesn't matter what packages it comes in. Fame is fame. Take it. Especially you got the talent. Yeah. Someone said to me, yeah, Josh, we want to uh, typecast you as the bald-headed biker in every movie from now until you're dead. Okay. I mean, <laughs> like, I mean, listen, by the way, I'll also go Northwestern Sheriff 1979 to 1984. <laughs> and go. I will chase anyone with a Camaro or a T-top. Uh, whatever you guys want to do, listen, I'm in. All right, but I just want to let you know, my law enforcement background, it has versatility. Yeah. yeah <laughs> no, I think you always, like, like I, I'm a big proponent of just shotgun blasting the ether out there and just trying to put feelers out everywhere you can. And if someone grabs you because they like the way you look or whatever, that's, you know, that, that, that's kismet. That's what you do. You go after it, you know? Have you, um, what's the you know, comics, especially now these days, right? They're, they're dabbling into uh, acting and 
I, uh, yeah. I actually just dabbled into acting. Yeah, uh, that's what I'm going for. Look at this. I love it. What, how are you dabbling in acting? What's going on? I, uh, a, a buddy of mine uh, saw a casting director's post uh, a couple months back. It was like probably three, two, three months back. But they were looking for somebody in the area that looked like me, basically, except without my goatee. And uh, that, you know, why don't you contact? And I was like, well, I've never done any acting. And he's like, he's like well, what, what the hell? What, what, what can happen? So I contacted the guy. I said, yeah, send me all your stuff. You know, so I sent him my package. And, uh, and he, called, he sent me an email. He's like, yeah, we, we want you to come in for a reading. Like, it was Zoom because of the COVID bullshit. So we scheduled the, uh, the meeting. And, and uh, I did the reading. And uh, they really liked me. And uh, I had to come back for a couple, like another call back. And again, they really liked me. They were supposed to give us the answer uh, like the next day who, who got the, the, the spot. Uh, we didn't hear back for four days. It was me and two other guys. And uh, it turns out the casting producer was arguing so hard for me um, because he really liked the way I, I portrayed the role. And it was a lead role. And he said the only thing that, that his executive producer didn't like was the fact that I had no, I had no credits. Um, but he told me that I beat out a guy that was actually in uh, Captain America Winter Soldier, an actor that was in that and had Shakespeare background, you know, Shakespeare theater background. He said that I beat him all out. He goes, you, you were just awesome. He goes, it was raw. It was great. And I was like, eh, yeah, I got some acting ability apparently. Uh, you've also went through basic training. You, yeah. You've also handled a multiplicity of, of, of fucking psychopaths as a law enforcement officer in some capacity all over the world. So uh, you've handled actors. So to act, you're like, well, I know all this asshole did it to try to get out a speeding ticket. Didn't work. I will not do that. <laughs> and it works. I love, uh, we, we missed uh, my favorite line in the movie. What's your favorite line in the movie? Well, can you take your penis and hammer a, uh, you know, what is it? Is it an eight-inch spike through uh, through? Can you nail a six-inch spike through a board with your penis? With your penis, yeah. My favorite is the best. Um, it is that, it is that thing of how, and it, it just like it doesn't go to size. It's like versatility and 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 and, and who you. How, how versatile are Like, what are you going to do for me? Yeah. And, and I wonder in the world of all that, right? I'm like, what are you going to do for me? And, and um, when you're doing comedy and you're on the road, is there a part of when you're helping younger comics out, is there a, what are you going to, not not you looking at them saying, what are you going to do for me? But it's more of just like, I'm just wondering, like, especially because it was aggressive of, uh, of, the, of, the, of where you're at as far as, you know, performing. How do you avoid the, what are you going to do for me? And how do you just dry out the best in what is funny and what is you and what is your personality and what is just you as a person that I was drawn to from just watching you and then seeing you on Instagram? Well, I, I appreciate that. Let, let me break that up in two things. How do, how, do you, how do you how do you draw out the best? First off, you you you, you welcome uh, feedback. You know, you, you want to hear what your your fellow comics think about what you're doing, what's working. You know, I've got 
some people who I, I know will tell me the truth. Uh, one of them isn't my friend, but I know he'll tell me the truth. Um, <laughs> but I mean, you know, you need that kind of thing. You need, you need blatant honesty because honestly, you're just going to waste your time. Um, but, uh, you know, the other thing is, it, I believe in what Kevin Hart said. Kevin Hart said in his book that there's room at the top for everybody. And I don't think that cutthroat world should exist as far as in comedy. I don't, and honestly, I don't see it. I've heard about it, but I haven't seen it because I believe you should help everybody as best you can. If I see something a, a fellow comic's doing that just I know isn't going to work or I, I see that it's not working or if, if like a lot of times what a lot of us do is like we'll come up with a tag to something that they're saying. We'll be like, oh, if they said this, it'd be even funnier or add this on, it'll be funnier. And we do that a lot with each other because there's room at the top for everybody. It's, it's ridiculous to think that, oh, well, I'm going to make it. You're not. And therefore, I'm going to be a dick to you. Now, believe me, I've met a couple of people like that. Um, but, you know, you just avoid those people. I, I, I personally will help anybody any way I can. I've had people message me on Instagram. Hey, I want to start doing comedy. How should I start? Um, you know, and, and I'll give them my advice. You know, you go do an open mic. You know, you have to do the mic first. Well, I've written a bunch of stuff. Don't worry about what you write. Go do the open mic. You got to get on stage first, figure out if you can even stomach it. You know, because let me tell you something. It is the ego's last stand. There's nobody but you up there, pal. You know, and if you get up there and you realize, oh, shit, I can't do this, then why did you waste all that time writing? You know, so you got to figure out you can do it first. Then once you can do it, then come back and talk to me. We'll talk about writing. You know, and it, it, I, I'm absolutely, you know, I've had so many people help me that I would be the biggest hypocrite in the world if I didn't help other people. And I, you know, that's, that's the military way anyway. You, you pass on what you learn. Um, you always pass on what you learn. That's, that's the wise thing to do. How do you, uh, what's your writing style? Do you write everything out full on pen paper? Do you type it? Do you give just hints in your brain and then you just know your brain's going to run with it? What do you do? So I am, I'm typically a prolific writer. Um, I'm currently, currently writing two different stories. Um, but I, uh, I'm trying to come up with an entirely different act, like a whole different set. Okay. So, and and I'm, I'm having what we call affectionately writer's block. <laughs> um, but honestly, my best stuff has always come up like five minutes before I went on stage. Um, I've been on stage and I've said things that I had not planned to say. It just happened to come out. And I still use them today because they just, they're brilliant. They're, they're perfect. And I'm not like doing this. I'm just saying I have epiphanies more than I have the ability to write, like I'll write down premises to the day, you know, as long, I'll write premises down and things will spark. But the minute I have like that fire that goes in my belly right before I go on stage, it's all of a sudden my, my juices start flowing. Did you see my, my uh, military set where I talk about the Navy? No, I haven't seen that one. No, I have not seen that one. I'll, I'll send you a link after this. Um, but there, there's a part where I, I start talking about how the Navy is the only branch of service that uh, forces their servicemen to lend the village people music. There's this whole premise that I go after that, that I came up with right before I went on stage. And it's just so effing funny. I mean, it makes me laugh. And I've said it, you know, a hundred times. It's so just, is that, so is that a thing where it's, it's I mean, and, and I guess I, I bring it up because I want to ask, it's like, is it, is it not leaving you? I mean, I, I long story short, there's structure and there's not structure and people get torn in between of like, and they don't know which road to run down. Am I running down the structure road because blah, 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 or am I running on the non-structure road? And, and I think one, it's like, first of all, I would argue don't get caught up in either one. 
you're going to find moments of inspiration in both a but b hey if if you if you think that you have to follow one path or the other then you have not followed you've not found your path and don't go up and grab the mic yet because you're going to fail does that well, make sense writing writing technically isn't the issue to begin with you you need okay. to see if you can swim before you you try you know doing laps out there first uh, so you, you got to hit that, that, that you got to have that mic in your hand, you got to be in front of a crowd to see if you can deal with it first. You got to know what it feels like because that helps you resonate how you're going to write. Coming up with a writing style is something that just happens over time. Uh, Whitney Cummings, uh, Michelle Wolf, both very structured. Mich books. Michelle Wolf is, she's famous. no offense to Whitney Cummings. I mean, obviously a little more popular, but Michelle Wolf is one of my favorite, no. you know, not to be rude, but lady comics. I know when this, Culture that, and climate, right? I'm going to be rude here in a second. Leave that to me. Okay. Um, <laughs> absolutely, hands down, one of the best writers. Fantastic. Yeah. Love her to death. Um, Whitney Cummings, again, probably one of the top five best writers. Complete douchebag. Whitney Cummings is a douchebag. She, we were told before she showed up that none of us were to talk to her. <laughs> Yeah, but also, uh, but also, I would say this: Whitney Cummings for writing and where she's written stuff, whether it's been sitcoms or anything else, right? Hilariously funny, and and I do not take anything away from that. But I will say this: her stand-up, personally for me, for whatever it's worth, below fifty percent. Yeah, uh, you know, I, she's just not your cup of tea, and and, and yeah, and, and that's okay. Yeah, no, it's perfectly okay because I I can tell you, you know I worked. Uh, coming up probably at the door for a long time, and I can tell you I've seen all kinds of acts come through. And uh, there are some, I, I look at them, I'm like, this is ridiculously bad. And then there's some coming through where I'm belly laughing, and I look at my coworker, and they're looking at me like, you know, I'm, I'm nuts. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, no, both those individuals, phenomenal writers. Now, Bert Crusher, on the other hand, he, he's, a, he's a premise Is, guy. He'll, can Bert spell? He'll, huh? Can Bert spell? <laughs> 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 he's, he's got a spell check on his notepad. Um, he has to. No, he he uh, like he'll just write a premise on his notepad. He won't write it out. He'll just he'll just say from from like uh, you know Starbucks coffee shop, and then he'll go on stage and he'll take that premise and he'll work it out on stage. He's just one of those guys. Uh, then you get guys like me who just write, 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 and then I come up with an idea and then I mold it on stage. Like, how do you limit? When you write, write, write to being like, this is on stage, this is not. Where do you filter that? You know, like, you, you should, you, I, I, I have a couple friends where I'll say, hey, what do you think about this? And I'll throw it at them. And one of them will go, eh, that sucks. The other one will go, it'd be funny if you did this. Um, you know, so then you, you just start twerking it, start, start moving it around, see, see what the hell you can do with it. Uh, but ultimately, though, you got to go on stage and see the work. Like, I, I sat down and I wrote this hilarious, I thought it was hilarious, like I'm writing it out and this is, you know, this premise is just hysterically funny and I thought it would be funny on stage and I get on stage and I'm looking at everybody looking at me and I'm like, y'all aren't following me at all, are you? They're like, no, we're like, we're going to shit can this. Anyway, <laughs> you know, it's just, that's what it's all about. You got to get on stage, man. But it's, I mean, but that's also, there's, there's a bravery in that, that I think stand-up comedy alludes itself to that I think corporations are learning college, whatever it may be, could allude itself to, which is, oh, you guys aren't following? Is this not what? Imagine, imagine this from 
senior thesis to Jeff Bezos today. Two different people, right? But they take your, your comedy approach. So senior thesis, they come out, they, they present their thesis to, you know, their, their group of people. And it's like, hey, here you go. Here we go. And da-da. And no one says a thing. Now they have two options, right? They're like, hey, they didn't get it. I'm super smart, blah, blah, blah. Or maybe they take your option. Hey, you guys, do you see all the work I put in with the notes and everything? I was like, yeah, we sure did. It's like, so you understand, like, there was a big thought process behind my theme, my senior thesis for this, like, a hundred percent. It didn't hit, did it? Nope, you're a fucking moron. Pigeons are just gonna fuck pigeons, and it doesn't matter if that pigeon has a smell of flying by a deep dish pizza place versus a thin cut, thin crust pizza place. Both those pigeons get laid. It just fucking works. Stop. You're, you're a smart person, obviously, but this thesis, because you've never been laid because you're from a Bible college, and then you try to do this with pigeons and pizza because you're a pervert, get the fuck out of here. Never do it again, right? There's that. That was the weirdest tirade I've ever heard. In my you life. like that? You like that? It's just craziness. But it's also like, but it's like, you could say, you could literally be like, no, that doesn't fucking work. And someone's like, yeah, it doesn't work. You need a new tagline like, Pigeons should wear condoms. There's your tagline. Let's yeah. get after it. You know, the, the, the other thing that, that, that comics need to understand is, you know, every, everybody's so worried about, oh, they're going to steal my material. Oh, my, you know, I'm doing a premise about Pizza Hut. You can't do a premise about Pizza Hut. Here, here's a fact. Okay. First off, there's only like seven real premises, period. So everybody's going <laughs> to, you know. And, and delivery was the seventh? What? Delivery was the seventh premise? Because it just didn't happen in the 20s. So now right. it's here, all right? So fuck, we're good. So I mean, it's just, there's, there's only so many premises anyway. So everybody is going to overlap over everybody else. And you just have to understand that um, it has to be from your perspective. Like a great example is, is the MC will come out, he'll do a Pizza Hut joke, all right? Gets people to laugh, that's fine. The feature comes out, does a Pizza Hut joke. They laugh even harder. The headliner comes out, does a Pizza Hut joke. They laugh their asses off. What's the difference? Well, here's the difference. All right, A, probably experience, number one. But B, MC's job isn't to make everybody laugh, contrary to popular belief. Everybody thinks the MC's job is to make everybody laugh. It's not. No, no it's to get everybody calmed down, focused, so they can pay attention. So when the feature comes up, they can laugh. It's to get them off the ground. He just has to lift their energy up a little bit. That's all a feature has to do. It's a nice, cozy, warm spot for us comedians that are playing in the middle. Um, it's the headliner's job to crush. That's that's their job. You know, they get up there, they have to crush. They also have to deal with check drops and food being, you know, clattering of plates and everything else. Uh, you know, it, it, it's easy to be a headliner. It's hard to be the headliner. I mean, they they're both are. Uh, the, the easiest job in the, in the place, in my opinion, is the feature job because of the fact that you're taking them on the journey. All you got to do is lift them up a lift. You get them laughing somewhat, you've done your job. The MC's job is incredibly hard. He's got to get everybody calmed down, focused. You know, if you can get them to laugh, great. But God, I've seen MC's who are incredibly funny and they're just great guys. Normally, they're like a feature or even they've even headline and they're just MC'ing because they were offered the gig. And the crowd's just like stone faced and like total like you know painting on them, just you know, <laughs> just not laughing, not even moving. No laughs for you. Yeah. Mm. 
looking at you like you owe money or something. You know, it's just it was. So I mean, it's it's a rough gig. Uh, How but, do you for the middle for the for the act where you're at where the the place where you're at? Uh-huh. Right. Um, I've had comic friends who go. There's nothing worse than a bad middle act that comes out, walks back, sees me, and goes, "Tough crowd. I don't know how you're going to make them laugh." Uh, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, "Somebody did you like, pay for that act?" And like, "No, the club paid for it." And I'm like, "Jesus Christ! Bring your own middle act. Like, this is the worst." Like, well, business doesn't work that way in comedy, Jepson. You have to understand it's not your thing. You're not just doing a trade deal with Italy. It's different. And I'm like, I don't know how it's fucking different. If that person doesn't make people laugh, fire him and bring your own person in. I mean, honestly, like, like there are crowds that are just, you swear that they're on court order. Like, they don't want to do it. I mean, I've, I've seen them. I've, I've had to deal with it, and it messes with you mentally because – you know, jokes you've been doing for months, years, who that always work. You go on to this room all of a sudden they're not working. Um, but you know, I, I've always come out and said, you know, like something like that. I was like, Ooh, that was rough. I don't blame the crowd. I don't blame the club. I don't blame the headliner. I don't blame the MC. Right? If I failed to do it, that's on me. You know, yeah. the day, I mean, they they did come to the club. Um, you know, and they're, they are there to laugh. And if I fail to do it, then that's on me. And then my poor wife has to listen to me go, I don't know if I should be doing this anymore. I suck. Oh, God, it's awful. Do you remember why we love each other? It was a birthday. You made me laugh. Yeah, and of course, at the end of the day, I was like, this is your fault. I'm up on stage because of you. No, I don't, I don't know if we're doing it. I don't know if you know. Yes, you do. <laughs> I don't but I'm not here right now mentally for our daughter or for you because of the career you chose for me. Jason, I, I mean, I'll be honest with this poor woman. She's like my therapist. Out there. She's got to listen to all this garbage. I don't know if I'm good enough. Like I was just in a, uh, I was in a contest a month and a half ago for the World Series of Comedy. Uh, we did a video contest. I had to submit okay. And uh, I ended up, at, so out of five shows, all the people voted and out of all five shows my video was voted for the most by the audience right so i ended up winning that uh the audience vote for that contest um so i'm watching like i like i didn't make it like out of my show i didn't make it one two and three because that was the judges that put those people in and uh like i'm and i'm watching a couple of comics and i'm like i know my stuff is good why why and i'm like thumping my head and like she's got to listen to me and then i end up winning she's like look see all this bullshit you just put me through, you ended up winning. <laughs> the poor thing. What do you, as a comic, and I mean this, everything you've learned, the rejection, the love, the passion, the fun, and also the real world jobs you took in between, what are you, you going to say to your daughter? I, I mean, honestly, I want her to do what's going to make her happy. At the same time, I want her to have a practicality that she has to understand that she, you know, she's got to make her own way in this world to survive. So, I mean, I want her to have a skill set that isn't performance. So she has something to fall back. If she wants to go, I mean, she's two, right? She could grow up and go, no, dad, I want to be a librarian for all I know. So, I mean, it's yeah. just, and whatever. If but I, she could be the funniest librarian on planet earth. I mean, I, I just want her. To and still that. just wants to be a librarian. Yeah. And then you know what? We need librarians. Uh, I got a friend who's a librarian. She's fantastic. And uh, you know, I just I I I want her to be happy. 
So uh, it, it, right now, my wife and I were just instilling in her uh, values, manners. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to get her to talk more, you know. <laughs> but I mean, she is, she's incredibly good. We spent 15 minutes today, me throwing plastic balls in the air and they're bouncing off my head. And this little girl was belly laughing so hard that just would make your soul happy. I mean, it's just. It's the best I, thing in the world. I don't know, but I'm a clown anyway. So I was perfectly happy to do it. For whatever it's worth, FYI, yeah. as a dad who has a almost seven-year-old, six-year-old, um, I took this to heart. It's worked out very well for our household, not so much for school, yeah. but I love that. Like there's a part of me that revels in this. So my daughter is not allowed to say one word. What's there's only word? one word she's not allowed to say and it's can't. Oh, I like that. You're not allowed to say can't. Like if, if you say can't, one, you instantly lose privileges. And then two, you have to tell me how you can do it. I like that. I like that a lot. Right? However, she will drop a F-bomb at school. <laughs> okay. Parents out there, I'm not. And, I'm, and, I'm and not, not care. And be like, I can't believe I fucking missed that ball. That's a crazy thing. Let me go grab that real quick. And her little friends are like, I'm sorry. So they will literally like throw something. And she's like, fuck, I missed it again. I'm like, that's twice. I thought I heard you say. And she's like, what? And then she'll slip me like, shit, I hit my, I hit my, my knee. And I teach you like, so I get a phone call. It's like, hey, uh, your daughter said shit. I'm like, okay. <clears throat> I'm like, well, you know, really. I'm like, did she say can't? <laughs> and, the, and the teacher literally, she goes, actually, Mr. Jepson, that's the second reason we called. Harper has come to us. And she is with multiple students. Like every student in the class, when they've said can't, she's raised her hand and said that those people are speaking profanities. This is the same girl who drops the F-bomb when she misses something and does not care. And my arrogant, egotistical, horrible person goes, do you know the etymology of fuck? They're like, what do you mean? They go, it's a farming term. The wet hoe, the hoe would hit the wet earth to pull out the cabbage. And when it swung into the wet earth, that flatness and that wet, muddy earth, when it hit, it went fuck. So the original thing is I'm gonna go fuck cabbage, which meant I'm gonna go harvest cabbage. It's a farming term. So if you want to knock my daughter for using old English farming terms, maybe inappropriately, but still know that it's an old English farming term and not a, not a horrible bad word. If you want to knock her for that, by all means, let's, let's run down this road. But before anyone insults my daughter, they have to know the etymology of the F word, one. And then two, they have to know why she's not allowed to say can't. And if you want to play this game with me, let's do it. I'm down. Let's get the whole board involved. Let's have a fucking party. And guess what? Her profanity is no longer a big issue. I, I yeah. love that. I love learning shit like that. Like, she's, like, inspiring, she's inspiring other kids to not say can't. I think that's, I thought, I thought fuck was fornication under the consent of the <laughs> <laughs> This is what happens with a crazy person. You're going to be like, well, I got to for sure take a shower, honey, and then I'm going to go to bed. But there's a little time with Jason. It's just got a little awkward. 
But honestly, it's like, I got this kid who thinks quitting is a bad word. I don't, I mean, listen, I keep that up for two more years. That's my home run. That's no, my accoutrement. Uh, when, when my little girl gets a little bit older, I'm just teaching her Krav Maga because, I mean, I just yeah. didn't. In the day, I just want her to be able to smash some kid in the face if he does anything to her. So, I mean, I, this we're really different. You're 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 doing this motivational thing. I'm doing this violent. Thing. <laughs> oh no, the the violent thing is me. Like, I am six two, two hundred and twenty pounds, and there's a picture of me with some of my buddies that I lived that when I lived in L.A. and Newport Beach, and I'm the smallest guy. I'm the smallest person, hands down. I'm the smallest person. I mean, you've got former running backs in the NFL and tight ends in the NFL. I mean, you just got guys who are just bigger than me. And my wife sees a picture and she goes, geez, you're the smallest guy in a group of friends. I'm like, yeah. And now we have a daughter. So this guy does internet security. This guy's in the NFL. This guy was the NBA. This guy was in the military. And then, you know, he worked with some other groups. And then there's this guy and we go through the list and she's like, Oh wait, you literally made friends in your late twenties, early thirties, that if you got someone pregnant, that kid would be protected outside of you. And I'm like, 100% we're on the same page. <laughs> Fantastic, man. Cause they just don't know any, cause, I grew up poor and I grew up not smart and I grew up not being the best in any of the scenarios that were thrown at me. And there's nothing wrong with that. No, not at but all. I grew up in all of that. And then I just thought, man, what if, what if my kid didn't have to grow up this way? What if instead my kid grew up and had a little more confidence around her? What if, you know, all of these cool things happened that made life different for her that it that I didn't I didn't get. Yeah. Like why not? Why not? I mean, the fact that this movie ends on they filled the house with with popcorn yes. and made made a popcorn scene happen. Yeah. If if anyone's out there and they've never seen this movie and they want to understand what it what it means and why I think this movie is so poignant for comics and, and, and you know and, and across the board just engagement is is this you think you're going in for x the house gets a laser beam shot at it and it explodes with popcorn and you get why some orbit this is the importance of comedy this is the importance of laughter. This is the importance of engagement. This is the importance of surrounding yourself with people that are different than you are. Why you go to a comedy club, why you just randomly grabs, you don't have to know the person that's there, but you have to go there because the challenge of understanding, the challenge of seeing the world differently, the concept and idea, the explosion of, wait, this could happen? That is crucial, in my humble opinion, that is crucial to what makes our world great, to what makes comedy so important. You know, where, where I think other people are getting soft on the edges and you are not. 
it's 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 crucial that you're not yeah, because because the comedy is the last vestiges of free speech it yeah. is and it has to be it has to be the house has to explode with popcorn not because you don't like contractors not because you think that wallpaper should be abolished not because you know uh laser beams are the are the future of it's because it has to be. If the house does not explode with popcorn, if it is not running out outside of everything, then you haven't pushed the boundaries of how you can communicate and change the way people see the world in the most beautiful way possible, which is laughter. Sorry, off my soapbox. I'm a crazy guy. I wish more people thought like you, dude. <laughs> No, I, I really do. I wish more people cared about comedy and, and understood what it was for. So, I mean, I appreciate you saying that. Hopefully your, your listeners will load up uh, the comedy clubs down there. and, uh, and Dude, uh, down there, to where you're at, everywhere else, it's, it's crucial because the idea of challenging thought isn't that one's bad or one's good or the fact that someone laughed at this challenging thought versus this one doesn't mean this one's not funny or this one is super funny. It right. is the fact that if you as an adult can't shift your paradigm, you just can't be that person that can laugh at yourself, your scenario, your situation. Really? Like yeah. that no one boycotted real genius. Orville Redenbacher didn't boycott it and say, if you pop popcorn, houses will explode. <laughs> Orville Redenbacher didn't do that. And guess what? Not one person who built houses in America said, you know what? I can't believe they did this with this movie. This is bullshit. You know, uh, um, houses and popcorn, this is not how this works. And I'm so angry. No one did that. You know why? Because they were adults. Because right. they wanted to laugh. Something we lack today. <laughs> we, when we lack that today, right? We really do lack it where it's just like, well, if it doesn't work this way, or it doesn't do this, then da 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 da. Like, no, man, come on. Yeah. Right? I mean, and you are, mm -hmm. I don't want to put you in cutting edge, because I don't know where you, because I want you to define yourself, but it's like, your comedy and the way you dissect the world, you're not doing it with oven mitts and baby spoons. And you sure. shouldn't be. Nope. Because of who you've mentioned. Lenny Bruce, Eddie Murphy, uh. Steve Martin. I mean, there there's a point to this and the point should be is that the roof should come off the house should break you know why it should break it's full of fucking popcorn and no one ever thought a house should be full of fucking popcorn and the fact that a contractor get mad and go that's not how my house would hold up under popcorn is the dumbest like the fact that someone looks at that and goes that's right we should support contractors versus someone saying that's the dumbest argument i've ever heard it's just funny a house filled up with popcorn and the roof fell off. Is a, how do you manage mentally when you write a joke and when you hear this dumb shit? You know, it, it, <laughs> every single day. I mean, there, there are people out there saying dumb shit every single day. You know, a lot of it, it turns into white noise because you've heard it so much, but uh, you know, if you find something you really like and you latch onto it, you gotta run with it because it's like uh, somebody was like somebody posted this uh, article 
uh, that they found online. And this is a true story, right? Like this guy goes to work and he has a massive heart attack in his cubicle and he dies. Okay. So the guy's in his cubicle like this, just out. All right. His coworkers think he's asleep. So they think it's time for selfies. All right. So this guy's in his chair and they're all around him like, ah, you know. They have a dark soul. I'm laughing. I'm like, this is hilarious. They, they deserve all of this. Corporate America, everyone. We deserve it all. And the whole time I'm reading this, I kept thinking to myself one thing. Not one person, not one person drew a dick on his forehead. I mean, what kind of friends does this guy have? Horrible friends. Not one. I mean, he doesn't have a friend. When you're that afraid of HR, I mean, it's time to pack it up is all I'm saying. Oh, I, you know, no, no. Years ago, this is like five years ago, uh, this um, Russian company reaches out to me like, hey, we'd like you to do this crisis communications. And we have an HR kind of recruiter person in the US. We got brought to you in. So anyways, I'm doing, I'm doing the interview on Skype. Kids, this is before Zoom existed. So it's a thing called Skype. It was way before Zoom existed. And arguably better than, than Zoom because there's no security weird things with Zoom. However, you always get the weird message on Skype that there's some girly truth like Instagram that goes, I'd like to show you my ass. You pay only fans. I show you on Skype. And you're like, I'm out. But so I'm on Skype. We do this whole thing. And this gal's like, she's, uh, she's from Russia. And she goes, you know, so I got to do this thing to get my accent going because I'm not as talented as you are, Josh. So I have to do dumb shit. I'm like, both from Donia. She's like, you, sir, you're the good guy. You are a you good European looking guy. You look good. You have good hair. There's no balding. Uh, you're very funny. You're engaging. And I like you look me in the eyes. Like I can move camera, but always in the eyes. You're good and handsome. Very, very handsome for American. I don't like American men. You're handsome. Now, mind you, this is a three-way Skype call, right? And the HR guy... <laughs> from the u.s he's just gotten up and walked out of the room he's like fuck out of here. Like, i haven't seen or heard a thing he said, fuck this shit, i'm out i'm out like she's going crazy again so they offered me a gig and i was like uh you know you got to come to russia like four times a year and i uh i politely declined obviously um and happy i did and once again not a knock on on those people as much as it was just it was what it was but it's yeah. you know, but it's it's always funny because like to to your point earlier, like people get so concerned about what they're going to say, what they're going to do, what's going on. I would challenge people instead. I mean, now more than ever, before and after COVID nineteen, I would say this: live your comic, say things, be things, do things, and and, and don't be irrehensibly gross to where if you say something and it hits off color that. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, um, you're better and you can't learn from it. No, 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 no. But say things, challenge, have conversations, make up facts. I made a fact something out in the driveway. My buddy's like, I can't believe it. I'm like, you know, the number one export for Ford is in China. There are more Ford cars driven in China than any other American car. And I said it like that. And my, my neighbor was like, makes sense and changed his whole premise on exportation of US vehicles because 
of I made something with conviction. Now, I don't know if it's true or not. And Trey's probably going to listen to this. And he's going to be like, you know what, motherfucker? You're not allowed to talk in my house again. You're never allowed to talk. But I was also was like, really proud of myself. I made something up on the spot. And everyone, there was like seven people there. They all agreed. <laughs> I bring that up to say this. You don't have to lie like me. But you should push the boundaries like comics do. You should make people a little uncomfortable. No, you have to. You have to, you have to build up that tension. You got you to gotta do that, Dan. Are you the least or most favorite guest at a cocktail party? Am I? Oh. Yeah, because cause I, I, I mean it this way. Like, there's either A, no one knows you're a comic, so you get to have fun and push boundaries. And then there's B, three people know you're a comic and they're like, hey, Josh, Josh, hold on, hold on. Hey, oh, no, you just meet Josh? You just meet him? He's a, dude, the guy's great. I met him two dinner parties ago. He's hilarious. I looked his stuff up. Josh, Josh, do the champagne joke one time, one time real quick in front of all of us. Come on. I got $5. Listen, I'll give you $5. Let's just, let's do the thing. Come on. I'm very typically Bill Murray in Stripes. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much who I am. <laughs> So, I like yeah, that answer. That should, that should be your answer. No, no, that's that's the best. And if you haven't seen Stripes, uh, first of all, stop, stop listening to this right now. What is wrong with you if you haven't seen it? <laughs> yeah. Because it'll change your life, and that's the fact, Jack. It will change your life. And seriously, stop listening. Stop whatever you're doing. Right I, legal, <laughs> illegal, I don't care how you get it at this point. The fact that you haven't gotten it earlier is a is a detriment to your family and your own constitution as a person who thinks they know things that are funny stop go after it it's going to change your life Absolutely. it's like the jerk someone who's never seen the jerk like oh my God. i don't understand the economy and what's going on like have you watched the jerk <laughs> jerk is fantastic and dude this has been fantastic man i really appreciate you having me on well, no, I was going to say, so this is the, the two things. One, the movie has ended, folks. And of course, we hit on all the major themes like we do most of the time. But I, honestly, Josh, I, I had a much better time talking with you and uh, learning more about you and, and who you are and everything else. Um, as I think you've, you've seen the, the craziness that I am, I will now just consider us friends in every conversation that I have. I'm like, that's my friend, Josh. Oh, no, no, there's Joshua over there. He's my friend. So always now you're just my friend, whether you like it or not, until you send me a DM that says, we're not friends. No, we're that's just totally friends. I love making friends, man. That's awesome. That's awesome. Two, um, the chaos and the, the randomness that is, this, that is this podcast, this kind of fun, where we get to hit on that's things and, and have a good time. Uh, I do not, and I, and I really do mean this, like, listen, uh, you know, diapers are going to be soiled or not soiled. Bread's going to go bad avocados are precocious little bitches and they're like i'm not ready i'm not ready oh i'm sorry i'm already done but uh you can go buy new ones you can go buy all that new shit and and fix it but time is one thing we don't get back so i really do mean this uh this was a lot of fun for me um I don't, i'm not here to waste my time you have a two-year-old i've got a six-year-old who would assume to have me watching scooby-doo with her right now then uh you know it's 10 o'clock here obviously she's in bed but she'd rather me not do an interview and watch Scooby-Doo with her. And sure. I don't take these things lightly. We have a lot of fun. Um, I'm very random. I'm a little bit crazy, obviously, but I don't take lightly the fact that you spent two hours with me. And I really do mean, it means a lot to me. Uh, that that really does. That. So. 
So that said, uh, the last thing, um, one, uh, if you've got a, the, the corniest joke you can give, think about it real quick, and then you're going to give us a corny joke if you want to. If not, just tell us something else about what, what, what comic date. And also do a corny joke or, and then tell us what dates are, if you have any dates booked. I know that some people are starting to book dates outside of certain areas. And then, um, you know, I'm gonna say goodbye to you. And then my daughter's gonna sing about the first time she took a shit by herself. So it's a pretty magical moment at the end here. <laughs> um, yeah, I actually have some dates coming up. Uh, Get, give us some dates, brother. Give us some dates, please. The, the only things I was actually able to hang on to because of COVID, but uh, let's see, uh, August, uh, the weekend of August 27th, I'll be at the Comedy Caravan um, with Gabriel Rutledge. Ooh. And then uh, I'll be back at the caravan in October, the weekend of October 15th with Larry Reeb. So those are the two dates I have right now. Perfect. And then if people want to find other dates as uh, COVID uh, opens up, where can they go? What, what's your website? Where can they go find you? So I, I post all my stuff always on Instagram. Uh, it'll be on TikTok now and Twitter. But uh, my uh, fan page, um, well, you can go to my website, which is joshsardom.com. Or you can go to uh, Facebook, which is just Josh's stand-up. You go on there, and uh, either way, uh, please like, follow, subscribe. I'll do those kinds of things that make you feel good inside. Will make me feel good inside anyway. Uh, so my corniest joke. Uh, so you know, I, I, Ronda Rousey, like her, don't like her, like UFC. You like that kind of thing? Fighting. Kind of turned on by. Her, I'm not gonna lie. You know, I mean, you're a man. Um, <laughs> so Ronda Rousey, I found out that her last fight in the UFC and my first sexual experience have everything in common. Oh, no, it's true. Like, and I'll prove it to you because there was a whole bunch of hype. Yeah. There's a bunch of shit talking. Uh -huh. And then 43 seconds later, <laughs> the bitch knocked me out. Um, <laughs> I love it. You know, and folks, in case you're wondering, if I asked any one of you, after a 20 second trailer going in, give me a corny joke, you all would have frozen. So one, put that in your pipe and smoke it. And then two, laugh the shit out of this. And three, what is it? I, I heard the, the bitch thing. It was beautiful, intelligent, charming, theatrical heroine. And the girl's like, so please call me bitch. And my, I read this out loud and my daughter heard it. She goes, I'm a bitch. And I was like, okay, so you're six. Uh, we're not gonna go down that road yet. <laughs> We're just going to say, you're a great kid. How about we say that instead, right? Same letters, things, it's all good. Josh, anytime you want to come on, brother. Seriously, man, I'd love to have you on again. This was a lot of fun. My cheeks are hurting. You're very funny. If you've got anything coming up as far as tour dates or anything else goes, honestly, if you don't have the time, especially I know, touring is going to really kick up for you as, as everything opens up but if you've got things um and you want me to just say on the podcast let me know dm me anytime shoot me an email i will share those details appreciate it always man. man um i appreciate you thanks again for the time yeah. thank you for all that you do and everything else that you've done um and that said folks your favorite time my daughter sings about the first time she took a shit by herself magical it's amazing but more importantly josh thank you sir i really appreciate you brother be good Thanks, and uh let's stay in touch all right bud.
All right, peace, man. Thank you. You bet, too.